Good morning. It is a Monday edition of Glenn Clark Radio. I am Glenn Clark. He's Griffin. Busy Monday ahead of us here on the program. We'll talk about, obviously, a difficult weekend for the Orioles. Disappointing weekend. It, it's tough. I, I have a, some things to say about it, and I will, because it's called Glenn Clark Radio. Imagine if I was like, nah, I got things to say about it, but I'm, I'm just not gonna. I'm good. You can find that on OnlyFans later today. Is that where you're at now? Well, it's, it feels like that's the way we do anything anymore. Like we we tease, oh, you tease and, and it's it's somewhere else. Get through the, the paywall, paywall right? A hundred percent. Imagine imagine that. Uh, but we will talk about that. Also coming up on the program today. Uh, the Kentucky Derby was Saturday. Mage, your winner. Bit of a surprise. Largely untested horse going into the Derby. Owner Ramiro Restrepo is going to join us today to talk about the Derby. Was not fully committal about the Preakness just yet. Let's see if maybe we can get him to do that here this morning. <laughs> be really nice if that worked out that way where he was like, yeah, you know what, I'll tell you guys. That's where we're going. That would be great. That would be great. I don't think that's going to happen. Um, interesting. I think the assumption is after Forte was scratched from the Derby that he'll run in the Preakness. And I, I don't know if maybe oddly having a tougher field impacts the decision that they have to make about whether or not they're going to run him. Is that Where is that sound coming from? Is that in my headphones or is that that computer over there? What? It, is, it, is the, it is the computer. I don't, I don't know how to... Gonna drive me. This is going to be another uh, fire alarm situation, smoke detector situation, dealing with that computer sound this morning. That is annoying. Um, all right, yeah, Ramiro Restrepo, owner of Mage, is going to join us this morning, and we are going to catch up uh, with Larry Stewart, of course, Coppin State basketball legend, and now he has returned to his alma mater where he will be the head coach. He was uh, introduced in a press conference on Friday. He'll spend a couple of minutes with us this morning talking about taking on that responsibility, Jeremy Kahn will check in with us, as he always does on Mondays as well. That's all coming up on the program today. Today's show brought to you by your local Toyota dealer and by Toyota.com. The Toyota Tacoma comes in a range of models and trim lines, so you can choose the perfect Tacoma to reflect your unique personality and driving habits. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new Tacomas from your local Toyota dealer today. It's okay to say that you have expectations now. I, I'm struggling with this because I don't want to oversell the Orioles losing two out of three in Atlanta because the things that I've seen most people say are true. The Orioles went down there, got on Friday night what I believe to be their best win of the season, and were extraordinarily competitive in the other two games. They showed they could compete with one of the best teams in baseball. But that's what they should have showed. They're one of the best teams in baseball. The Orioles shouldn't be going down there and getting embarrassed for three games in Atlanta. I, I'm in a weird place where it almost feels like we have to apologize for having expectations. I think it's okay to say this was disappointing. Now, even that alone is a statement because it's a statement about where the Orioles are in comparison to where they've been. It's a statement that... I can be disappointed by them losing two out of three games in Atlanta against one of the best teams in baseball and one of the favorites to win the World Series. It's remarkable that the Orioles have turned the corner so much that I can be disappointed by that. Now, obviously, context is key. Context being, 
Saturday and Sunday were imminently winnable games. Teetering on inexcusable to have lost both. Teetering on that can't happen to a good team. You can't take a lead to the eighth inning on one day and be tied in the ninth inning, have a lead in the tenth inning the next day, and lose both games. Good teams aren't supposed to do those things. And again, that doesn't mean the Orioles aren't a good team. It means that we should be disappointed. Even if we don't necessarily believe the War- Orioles are World Series contenders, if we think they're a good baseball team and a true playoff contender, those circumstances shouldn't play out. You shouldn't be going one for 14. One for 14. With runners in scoring position. That type of stuff shouldn't be happening. No matter who you're facing. It's okay to say that's inexcusable. All you needed to do on Sunday when you weren't facing Spencer Strider, when you weren't facing Max Fried, all you needed to do was score two runs in nine innings and you would have won a series on the road against one of the best teams in baseball. It's okay to say that's disappointing. That that shouldn't be happening. Whatever it is that you want to say in order to describe it. It's okay. We don't have to apologize for having expectations for this baseball team. Now, to be abundantly clear, this doesn't mean that I suddenly think the Orioles are ready to go into a tailspin of some sort. We all know how difficult this stretch of the schedule was going to be. They have to make sure they don't lose two out of every three. It can't be that suddenly they're losing every series they play. This is going to be difficult AF this week against the Rays. I mean, absurdly difficult. But we shouldn't apologize for thinking that's disappointing. And in the context of you're trying to get to the playoffs... I always say you have decisions that you have to make. Ironically, the one that I thought you should have made last week was the only one that worked out this past weekend, which was letting Dean Kramer pitch. Go figure. Go figure that being the thing that worked out remarkably. And again, probably buys him at least a couple more starts. I'm not mad about it. I'm glad. I wish that anybody else could step up the way that Dean Kramer stepped up. Although Tyler Wells pitched well yesterday. Let me be fair about that. Um, You're facing Shane McClanahan tonight. Good luck. Good luck. Although you were facing Max Fried on Friday night, and you won that game. So I I don't know. I have no idea what to make of it. The bummer on uh, the Saturday night thing is that if, if they win that game and clinch the series win, and again, it wasn't absurd to think they could have come away with a sweep. I feel like that Adam Frazier hit would have been a particularly memorable one for some time. I feel like it would have been one we would still have been thinking about into the summer. It was Rugnet Odori. Like, I don't know what this guy is, but damn if he doesn't come up with big hits and big moments. And on a night where the Orioles could not break through against Spencer Strider, that of all people, Adam Frazier was the one that delivered for them, was kind of wild. There are issues. Gunnar Henderson's an issue. 
We can't ignore it. Gunnar Henderson's an issue. How do you solve it? I don't have that answer just yet. There are opinions. I know our buddy Paul Valley from the Battle Round was talking about the comparison to Once Upon a Time sending Cedric Mullins down. Gunnar Henderson is a far more revered, thought-of talent than Cedric Mullins was. There's no real comparison between the two. Now, Cedric Mullins is obviously proven, obviously proven to be a quality Major League Baseball player, which Gunnar Henderson hasn't done yet. But from a talent standpoint, there was reason to doubt what you had in Cedric Mullins. The assumption was not that Cedric Mullins was going to be Adam Jones. Certainly no one thought that he was going to be a 30-30 guy, but that hasn't, you know, that's not a reasonable standard for Cedric Mullins. I'm I don't think that you can send Gunnar Henderson down. Certainly not yet, not for a while. Now we get past Memorial Day and you're still having this conversation. You know, I think we can talk then. I mean, if it's still this bad, if he still looks this lost at the plate, you get past Memorial Day, and in particular, other guys continue to perform. Jordan Westberg continues to perform. Joey Ortiz continues to perform. Then I think that's a rele- relevant conversation that has to be had. I'm willing to give him a bit more rope because the belief is that his talent is so overwhelming. And because even as he's looked befuddled and let's be fair it has been I mean it's been bad but even in those moments you still every now and then see what it is that everyone has seen in Gunnar Henderson and the reason why he rose like a rocket through the system let's also be fair despite the fact that he's hitting at just 176 he's still getting on base at a 342 clip that's not nothing That's not, you can live with that. You can survive that. But you have to monitor it. Gunnar Henderson's a problem. You need guys. That that on-base percentage doesn't help when you're going one for 14 with runners in scoring position. As much as we become obsessed with on-base percentage over the years, and I'm not trying to say that it's irrelevant, it's significant. But yesterday, you needed somebody to come up with a hit. With the bases were loaded, someone needed to deliver a hit. And a guy hitting 176 probably isn't the best option for doing that. Might be a better option than Kyle Stowers, who's hitting worse than that. It's OPSing at a 650 level. That's not, we can understand why if we don't just look at on-base percentage and we look at more greater numbers, it's not good enough. You can't just excuse it. I think it's enough to get him a pass for now to say, hey, it's not a complete disaster. But we have to acknowledge there's a problem there. And at some point, that problem has to be dealt with if it doesn't change. The deeper you work into a season, that's the decision that you make when you're a team that's trying to win. Sometimes you sign a catcher to like a billion-dollar contract in the offseason, and you say, we're going to let him play outfield now. Because this ain't working. Although I guess they're not going to do that in St. Louis. It's very, very strange. Although he's not going to catch either. It's they a very said, weird bit. I they, don't said know. they said they're not going to let him play outfield, actually? They, yeah. They went back on it? They went back on it. Okay. 
but I, I, but they're also still not going to let him catch. It's a whole weird. I don't know. It's a weird, weird bit, man. It's a very weird yeah, bit. Sometimes a DH is worth, you know, I guess, a lot of money. Yeah, a billion dollars. Whatever. For, uh, what are they? Like. They've won twelve games this year. Ah, uh, something like that. Yes, <laughs> correct. And look, the the decisions that the Orioles have to make also line up with monitoring how guys are performing. It was around this time last year that we started to have itchy trigger, trigger fingers about Adley Rutschman, right? And, of course, he arrived on Preakness Saturday. Well, we're two weeks away from Preakness Saturday. So the question is, should we be starting to have a similar conversation about, say, a Colton Kowser? Which isn't as prominent as the conversation that we had about Adley Rutschman a year ago, but it's still relevant. It's a top-five pick. In the MLB draft, it's a guy that's worked his way through. It's a guy that's performing at the level that he's at. At some point, do we talk about it? I'm not telling you there's an answer because the same on the flip side of that conversation is, well, who goes? And why you would say, well, Kyle Stowers goes. Kyle Stowers isn't playing every day. So are you bringing up Colton Kowser to not have him play every day? Are you bringing up Colton Kowser to convert Anthony Santander into a full-time DH? It negates his arm, which, as we know, is quite relevant, right? Who was it the other day that wouldn't come home because – or no, there was, was it a second to third? His arm was the reason why the Braves didn't move a runner over. It might have happened during yesterday's game where I wasn't able to pay as much attention because it was going on while I was doing a radio show. Thanks a lot for that. But you negate his arm if you take him out of the lineup. Or sorry, if you move him to a full-time DH. So is that what you want to do? Also, then what do you do on days where Adley Rutschman's DHing? Who's out of the lineup on those days? Some of it, the problem can solve itself. I'm not suggesting that you can't come up with solutions for it. But you're starting to run into that next kind of phase of this where the decisions aren't quite as easy as they were when it was Adley Rutschman replacing Robinson Chirinos. And we all said, yeah, cool. Right, please, do that last week. As soon as we possibly can, let's have him here. This one, these start becoming a bit tougher. And I'm not trying to make it seem like the, the lineup is the overall problem. Obviously, the Orioles have been very productive throughout the course of the season. But facing a difficult part of their schedule... And with the standard now being that you're trying to get them into the playoffs, you want to have the best group of guys out there that you possibly can. And those conversations need to start being had. And I don't know exactly what the timing is. And it's awkward that both things are kind of converging. The struggles of Gunnar Henderson at the same time as you're playing the most difficult part of your schedule. It's easier for us to say, well, you can't do this. But if, you, if this becomes a slog, if you do drop two out of three to the Braves and then drop two out of three to the Rays, and then, you know, it, it kind of snowballs a little bit, then it feels like at some point you have to start pressing buttons. Oh, and by the way, the problem was the pitching staff. <laughs> I mean, that's the. I'm not trying to be overdramatic about it. I do want to make this clear. I'm not trying to be overdramatic. I'm disappointed because the Orioles lost two games they, they could and arguably should have won. 
two games where you had a lead in the eighth inning or later and you lost both of them, that's disappointing no matter who the opponent is. But I'm not trying to be overdramatic about it. I get the Orioles are still a good team. Clearly. You don't take their record away from them. But we know the difficulty of what's ahead. The rotation outside of Tyler Wells, everyone, go look at the ERA. I mean, Wells, remarkably, is like a three-point... I don't remember what he is. He's yeah, the 3.1. I don't remember. What, I, I don't guess, remember. I guess, yeah, he was better yesterday. I yeah, mean, he didn't do anything yesterday. And I guess I that's why they've been getting away with it since the offense has been performing, which is why. Right. But if the offense goes through a week where they struggle, mm-hmm. again, Especially this, against the Rays, this weekend, know. remarkably, you got good starts, right, from a bad rotation against a good lineup. But can you count on that? I'm. I'm not. I. I swear to God, I'm not trying to be over. I, it sounds like I'm. Like I'm Maybe they're just gonna. It, by the way, Wells is three point one five. He's uh, been outstanding. Yeah. But then it's Gibson four point six one, Kramer five point Rodriguez five point four six, Bradish five point nine five. Kramer was it like six six? Correct. Uh, again, <laughs> before, you're hoping that there's there's some sort of turn. And again, Bradish pitched pretty well on Saturday too. I'm. I'm. I'm trying to have a complete look at all of this, but you're also about to play the best team in base, a team that never loses, that was down six to the Yankees and said, okay, cool, and just went right ahead and won the game anyway. That's what you're up against. I'm concerned. I'm concerned about what this stretch could end up being. I have the right to be concerned about it. And I think it's the first time where the Orioles really do to say last week should have been with Kramer, worked out for them. But I think you're moving into a stretch where if a few more losses come along, there are decisions that might have to be made with it. And what buttons do you push in order to try to be the playoff team that you want to be this season? I'm not pretending like I have all the answers. I sure as F don't. Maybe they're just going to be playing down to the level of their opponent every, or, or up to the level. So if, if like they the play Royal, against like the, the Royals, Royals they're yeah, going to the struggle, Royals. and then if they play against the Braves, they're going to play better. But again, they yeah. won the series against the Royals. Right. They didn't win. I, I can't. We're doing a lot of like hindsight here where yeah. we're trying to pretend like they won the series in Atlanta. They didn't. They lost the series. They lost two games. They had a lead in the eighth inning or later. That's disappointing. Again, Friday was their best win of the year. I thought it was impossible for them to win that baseball game. I didn't think they had a chance on Friday, and yet they came away with a win. Best win of the year. But then they followed it up by losing two games where they had a lead in the eighth inning or later. That's, that's a rough scene, man. That's rough. Some of that will be helped by the arrival of Tate and Givens, right? And we assume that we're getting pretty close with those guys. So then on Saturday, if you don't want to use Yanir Cano because you've been using him every game this season, you presumably have some more comfortable options to turn to. Although in fairness, you know, Mike Bauman pitched like with the biggest balls I've ever seen yesterday. Holy hell. He pitched like a guy who knows his job could be in jeopardy. Austin Both has pitched better of late. Yeah. It's not easy now making these decisions. I don't know. By the way, Stan the Fan, Ross Grimsley, and Luke Jackson are going to get together a little bit later on today um, at uh, 6 o'clock on Facebook Live, facebook.com slash Sports. 
And they're going to talk about that topic. What do you do? Who goes in order to make room for these guys? They're going to dive into some of these same conversations that we are having. And, of course, those are smart fellas, Stan the Fan, Luke, and Ross. So you want to make sure that you're checking that out, facebook.com slash pressboxsports, youtube.com slash pressboxonline if you miss it live, or pressboxonline.com slash video, all of the various ways that you can watch that. Trying to be reasonable, trying to have that conversation. By the way, we'll preview Orioles Rays. Doug Wachter, former um, former MLB pitcher, now he's part of the Rays broadcast crew. He's going to join us here in the 11 a.m. hour to discuss how it is that the Rays have been so bloody unbeatable this season and what we could expect this week as they come to Baltimore for three games starting tonight. Again, McClanahan, as I mentioned, on the mound tonight to open up the series. Go get them, boys, against Kyle Gibson. Again, they beat Max Fried on Friday night, so why not? And then the rest of the week, uh, tomorrow night, Zach Eflin against Grayson Rodriguez and Yanni Chirinos against Dean Kramer on Wednesday. You want to grab a break? We'll grab a break. Scheduled to be joined by Ramiro Restrepo, owner of Mage. Oh, what? You good? I don't have the break uh, downloaded yet. Oh, good. It's always good to be prepared. If there's anything I say... It's that nice to have prepared for the show ahead of time and to not have things like this pop up. Good? It's Glenn Clark Radio. The All-America Senior Game powered by New Balance will be back at Johns Hopkins Homewood Field on July 29th. The most decorated girls and boys lacrosse players in the country have been invited to play in what is the premier lacrosse event of the year. Every college coach wants their players in this game, and if you dream of being in this game, you start by trying out for one of your regional underclass teams this summer. The best against the best. Get your tickets now at allamericalacrosse.com. The Orioles are off and running out to prove that last season wasn't a fluke and they are one of the best teams in baseball. Hi, I'm Paul Valley, host of the Bat Around for Pressbox. Tune in every Saturday from 10 a.m. to noon as Zach Goodman and I break down every Adley bomb, every Tony Tater, and every save from the mountain. Like a warm hug from Rutschman, the Bat Around has you covered with all things Orioles as we embark on what's sure to be a magical summer in Birdland. So tune in every Saturday for the best in Orioles coverage right here on the Bat Around. Whether your focus is luxury and comfort, convenience and technologically advanced connectivity, or sporty performance and aggressive styling, we've got the perfect Highlander for you. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new Highlanders from your local Toyota dealer today. Harford Community College in Bel Air, Maryland, along with the National Junior College Athletic Association's Region 20, will host the 2023 NJCAA Men's Lacrosse National Championship May 13th and 14th at Harford Sports Complex, 401 Thomas Run Road in Bel Air. Semifinals are on Saturday, May 13th. The National Championship is Sunday, May 14th. Catch the action for $10 each day. Tickets will be available in advance or at the gate on game day. Qualifying teams will be announced. Costas Inn has been serving up delicious steamed crabs for over 50 years. Lately, the crabs you want to eat when the weather warms up have gotten harder and harder to get. So get your crab eating game plan in place. Make sure to stick this number on your fridge. 410-477-1975. Call ahead and reserve the size crabs you want. You may be able to walk in, but you may also be disappointed at the size or maybe even get shut out altogether. So call ahead, have a plan, and then arrive on your crab eating vacation. 
Kitchen. Costas also has delicious crab soup and crab cakes. The Costas Inn at 4100 North Point Boulevard. For more than 50 years, they've been satisfying crab lovers in and around Baltimore. If you need more of Glenn, you can also hear him every Sunday with Rita on 105.7 The Fan. But also, if you need more of Glenn, um, what's wrong with you? All right, back in here on GCR. If you missed it on Saturday, I don't know who would have missed it, but what a uh, day it was down in Louisville, the Kentucky Derby, the 149th one by Mage, a horse that uh, didn't have a ton of experience. I don't think a lot of people really knew what to expect from Mage. This man expected a lot of significant things. He is uh, co-owner, the uh, the prime owner of Mage. He is Ramiro Restrepo, and he's with us now here on GCR. Ramiro, it's Glenn in Baltimore. Thank you for taking the time for us this morning, and congratulations on being a Kentucky Derby winner. No, thank you, Glenn. Thank you for having me on the show. Uh, obviously an amazing experience and a wonderful moment for us. Uh, you know, it's a dream come true for anyone that's in the horse racing business. I can only imagine. Like, When was the first time? I was watching the video of you watching the horse down the stretch. Can you right. describe in words, like, what was going <laughs> through your mind in that moment as, like, oh, my God, this might really be happening? <laughs> <laughs> Um, you know, I, I, I'm not, a am I'm, I'm lucky that I, I come from a family, a, you know, five generations of being in the sport. So the ins and outs and, and the intricacies of, of the game are, are second nature. And, you know, I'm not just like a casual sports fan that stumbled into horse racing, luckily. So the, for like 90% of the race, I was just calm and more focused on the horse's positioning and the time they were, they were going really fast mm-hmm. for, you know, for, for what was expected going into the race. So the, the, the pace setters were just flying up there. And, and, and I was making a mental note of that. Normally when that happens is then the last 400, 600 meters of the race, those speed, you know, the, those speed pace setters start, you know, coming, coming back to the pack and, and those middle to the back of the pack courses start coming. So, while all that's fine and dandy, if your horse isn't making that forward run, all this is for nothing, you know? Right, and, um, right. on that, on that turn, when I, when they turned for home and I caught his white face, you know, that white blaze that he has five wide making that move. Then I just started, <laughs> I think myself, <laughs> friends, family, and every, you know, we have had, we're such a, a diverse group of, of, of partners in, in the horse. And we have so many friends, uh, the support and love for so many people. I think we have like a thousand virtual jockeys and everybody was bringing them home, which is, which is just phenomenal, man. And that video that, that they, that America's best racing caught me with was as they turned for home. And if you're in the grand, if you're in the stands, you can see his, his head pop, you know, in that forward group. And it, that was just me bringing him home with him. That's awesome, man. It was so cool to see it. I could, the joy is overwhelming. See, and this is where you and I are different because I'm more of a pessimist. And when gotcha. Angel of Empire starts making the move, you'd look at me like, oh, no, 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 no. Like, I, would be, <laughs> I would be that guy, whereas you were unbridled, man. That was so cool to see. Uh, it was an yeah. awesome video. <laughs> uh, Ramiro. I, 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 there's so many things that fascinate me about I me. Mean, there's there's a bit of a local connection, right? Before we even get to talking about the Preakness, it's that you came across this horse right here at Fasic Tipton in Timonium. Can you tell right. everybody the story about being up here and why this horse was one that you said, 
I, I want a shot with this guy. Sure. Uh, uh, outside of Baltimore in Timonium, uh, the sales company Fasic Tipton holds a two-year-old horse sale every May. And it's, it's during this exact Preakness week to kind of take advantage of the critical mass of people that are already in town, you know, for the race, kind of just capitalize on that momentum. And it's basically like an NFL combine that the horses are, are run through. You know, they run a 40-yard dash, and then they're put through uh, physical and medical exams and uh, a pseudo-interview process to to put them on your Mel Kuyper big board, you know, and um, <laughs> myself and my business partner, Gustavo Delgado Jr., who's the assistant yep. trainer as well, we've been working together for three, about three years now, uh, trying to raise his profile as a uh, race, you know, as a trainer and to raise my profile as a, what we call a bloodstock agent, which is, you know, like the general manager of a, of a sports team per se. Okay. And, um, we, you know, we, we, what we call, we work the sale, which you go look at all these potential prospects. And, you know, unfortunately our team doesn't have many, it doesn't have the budget for first and second round draft picks. So you start immediately looking at, you know, the offerings, the catalog where all these, you know, prospects are in, are in the sale and you start kind of filtering out what you won't be able to afford based on how fast their 40 yard dash, AKA their, their, their breeze was. And by their bloodlines that, you know, and, and their previous purchase prices, you know, cause some of them are, are being put in the sale as, as resales from when they were younger. And we, we came up with a, with, with a, with a big board of, of, of a few of a handful of horses. He was at the top of the list. We waited for him to, to go into the ring and, and off we went uh, bidding and uh, we went a little over budget, but you know, yeah, we're, like, worked uh, out. <laughs> things things work out, you know. And and um, after the sale, I brought in uh, two other uh, racing entities, two other partners that have had success in in this industry. And I made you know a little four, a group of the four horsemen, and um, we all partnered together. And it's been a magical ride since. You got, you guys don't walk around with your four fingers up in the air, do you? Now, like, is that? Is, is, <laughs> well, we... I've, been, I've been known to go. To do the Ric Flair woo, woo! and uh, <laughs> but uh, no, it's 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 quite entertaining, you know. Amongst ourselves, we we laugh and we kid, and, and it's a great dynamic amongst the group. That's awesome, man. Ramiro Restrepo, owner of Mage, with us here on GCR after the Kentucky Derby as we start looking ahead. Um, Ramiro, you guys didn't run Mage a ton, right? That was so much of the story coming into the Derby. Is so many of the folks that we talked to couldn't fully have a feel for what to expect because Mage hadn't run that many races. Can you take me through the strategy and why you guys were confident that it was the right thing to do and you could win the Kentucky Derby despite maybe having a little bit less experience than other horses? Right. Um, there was never anything that any, any reason why we held him back from running at two other than it was just the time necessary to develop him to be in our estimation, ready to make his debut. Some horses it's like, this is just like football. You can draft the player to be a quarterback and in practice you'll know, is he ready to be a day one starter or does he need a red shirt year? Hmm. And it's not necessarily that he's done anything wrong. It's just that he needs the maturity, both mental and physical to be ready to get on the field. And he just needed that time to develop, you know, and 
we don't we don't we don't do the trial by fire and just throw them in there and have them get sacked or throw picks. We literally just take our time and we deem them ready to run actually by October, November, but he was in Kentucky and the weather was getting a little iffy. And the last thing we wanted to do was play in a mud bowl mm. race one. Since Miami is home for us and there's a big racetrack there, we just figured, you know what, let's take advantage of the of the beautiful like you know, like the snowbirds do, take them out of Miami and and then of course, you know, shipping halfway across the country. Um you know, it is like like all of us to get a little jet lag. It took a little time just to you know power up from from that trip from Kentucky to Florida and to get used to the new the new racetrack. And you know, the racetracks they release a schedule uh, several weeks in advance that gives you um, the races that are available. So you can start now making you know a goal. Okay, well, there's a race on X day. We're four or five weeks out or three weeks out. Let's point for that one. So okay. while in theory, if it would have been a beautiful sunny Kentucky fall in October, November, heck we could have just run here, but, um, it, the weather didn't cooperate. We brought him back home to Miami and we, we saw there was a race on a big day, the Pegasus world cup day on the undercard. And, uh, our trainer who also happens to be our, our partner, uh, Gustavo Delgado senior mm-hmm. said, why not debut him on the big stage Pegasus day on the undercard of a cha- of a, you know, of a heavyweight championship fight. And, uh, we did so and he won. And then, from there, he did run every month. He ran at the end of January, at the end of February, and then like the first weekend in April. So he did, once he started running, we never missed a beat. He, he just progressed. The thing is, is that he didn't have that foundation on his resume like a lot of the other horses did, uh, where they ran last year. And there was maybe a little more for the, ex, you know, the, 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 the experts and the analysts and the horse players yep. to kind of say, oh, you know, these horses have all this foundation and gained the experience. They're, they're going to be able to handle all this, but we, uh, you know, we knew what we saw in practice and our, our coaches have been around some primetime players and they felt confident and they extended that confidence unto us. Brilliant. Brilliant in hindsight, obviously worked out really well. Um, how, how much is, is that a factor now? I, I know you guys are still making a decision about Baltimore. As I, I'm sure you know, our entire city is waiting with bated breath, right? Like, no, no, no. Look, uh, look. I know that in, the, in, in, in this day and age of social media and text messages, and you can't understand people's cadence or their, how, they, how they maybe express a thought because you don't understand like emotion behind a statement. We want to go to the Preakness. We just want to cover our bases. Yep. That's all. Yeah, I get it. Uh, I get it. You know, it, it's a, it's a. He just ran a, a monumental race, and he gave a fantastic effort. Yep. And all signs, he came out of the race great. He's happy, ears pricked, eating everything, all the, all the things that are on your genie in a bottle wish list. He's checked them all off. Like he's, he's happy as pie. So, we're actually starting to make plans like you know uh, logistical plans to get him to baltimore so if everything just stays normal and the horse continues to give all the indications that he could because he can't tell us hey boys you know (laughs) know, i'm gonna play but you know you use your horsemanship to you know observe observe and 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 that kind of horsemanship and observation has been taken since day one since we've had him. So we haven't made any wrong moves 
up until now, and I don't foresee that changing, Glenn. So I appreciate he's it. cool. He's doing great. He's training well. We want to go to the Preakness. That's the tentative plan. Everything seems cool so far. Making those plans to ship to uh, to Baltimore, brother. And dude, you you, know, you have we'll, no idea we'll the way that you are going to be faded when you get here, man. Like there is no life quite like being the Kentucky Derby winner in Baltimore. <laughs> it is it is unbelievable. No. And, and by the way, I want to say this. I appreciate the way you're talking about it. I think particularly in context of what the sport has dealt with in the last week or two. I appreciate the fact that you're saying, hey, we're going to use an abundance of caution as we make this decision. I think that's a good thing for people that do love the sport to hear and have someone say, hey, we, we, we want to make this abundantly clear. We're concerned about the horse. That's what we're worried about. And we're not just going to make a decision because it's going to be fun for us. And I know I, 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 I can't Ramiro, I really appreciate the time. If I could, the forte factor, right? Like the, the fact that you guys were so close in Florida. Now, knowing he's going to be rested for another couple of weeks, is there a part of you that says, I really can't wait to give our guy a shot to go show that we can beat that horse, the horse that everybody believes was the best one coming into this stretch? Well, for, uh, for starters, the connection to Forte, the, both owners, Micropoli and Vinny Viola, are incredible people. Their contribution to horse racing, and I've said it more than once, is is amazing and their trainer top Fletcher is all class so there's no such thing as a an animosity or, or rivalry or anything of that nature of a of a aggressive manner between the connections i wanted to spell that immediately because awesome you know you, you get you get to read into social media and it's like you get a headache sometimes <laughs> uh, for as amazing as those platforms may be they're amazing people and um you know it's 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 unfortunate because as a competitor and as an athlete you always want to go against the best. And up until um, the, leading up to the Kentucky Derby, the two-year-old champion and uh, you know the, the victor against us twice was Forte. So, of course, you'd love to you know, have the opportunity to run against the best. Um, due to circumstances outside of our control, he couldn't run, and we did. And you know, all we can do is control what's in our house and who they present in front of us. So you do what your best. We don't really focus on who's who's coming to run and who isn't. All we do is prepare our horse to give the best possible performance on, on game day. And, and whoever's in the gate is in the gate. And uh, if he happens to be there, fantastic. Yeah. And if he doesn't, I'm sure we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll face him at some point you know, down the line. Yeah. No doubt, man. Ramiro, I, yeah. such an awesome story. Happy for you, man. And I know it's a great story for everybody in Venezuela as well, which is a really cool thing, too. Um, hopefully, we'll be seeing you here in Baltimore shortly, and it'll be an amazing week leading up to a really cool Preakness Stakes. Ramiro Restrepo, congratulations, brother. Uh, thank you for taking the time for us. We look forward to seeing you when you get up here, all right? Hey, much appreciate. Thank you for having me on, Glenn. Take care. Have a good one. Ramiro Restrepo, owner of Mage, the Kentucky Derby winner. Appreciate him taking the time for us this morning. And I do. I understand exactly what he's saying, and I appreciate what he's saying, which is we're not going to just say something. We're going to go let the horse tell us that. And I, I think everything he said there was very appropriate. We want to run in the Preakness. We're planning to run in the Preakness. We're making plans to get up to Baltimore to run in the Preakness. As long as the horse continues to respond the right way, 
We're running in the Preakness. Perfect. If, again, you've been following what has been a very difficult week or two for the sport, I think that is a comforting thing to hear someone say, not an alarming thing. And if they say, hey, we don't like how he responded, it will be disappointing for us. Obviously, it would take a ton of juice out of the Preakness, but it would still be the right thing to do, and I would appreciate that given the context of a number of horse deaths in recent weeks. I don't want to see that you're just running a horse out there for the sake of it because you think it would be more fun that way and risk the safety of the horse in the process. Good stuff from Ramiro Restrepo, uh, owner of Mage. And yes, the big story on Saturday was that Forte, the favorite, was scratched by the state. They came in. They didn't like what they saw from the horse, and they said he couldn't run. If Forte is available for the Preakness, it shapes up for an even maybe an even better storyline than you would typically have with the Derby winner running in the Preakness because now you'd have the Derby winner running against the favorite that he didn't get the chance to run against in the Derby but lost to in the Florida Derby just before that by, like, one length. So it sets up a, a fun rematch storyline going into the Preakness as well and a conversation that'll be worth having. It would actually be fascinating for me to see which horse would be favored to win the Kentucky Derby. Typically, you just sort of make the – sorry, no, which horse would be favored to win the Preakness. Typically, you just make the Derby winner the favorite. It's just the way that it goes, right? Like, they won the Derby, you make them the favorite to win the Preakness. But if Forte runs in the Preakness, who was going to be the favorite to win the Kentucky Derby – What was Forte at before they I don't remember exactly him? where it was. Four to one, I want to say. sounds right. I think yeah. it was where it was. Um, if you've got a four to one derby favorite that's now another two weeks of rest, yeah. I think that that horse would likely be the favorite to win the Preakness. I mean, I think it'd be close between the two of them, but I would expect that Forte would become the favorite to win the Preakness um, from a betting standpoint. So we'll see. Obviously, a lot to be learned between now and then, but appreciate Ramiro Restrepo. And if you have not seen the video of, I'm going to retweet it right now. Yeah, I think I quote tweeted it. Did with, you? Uh, with okay. one of his quotes. Perfect. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, so. so great. I mean, it's just. Like, it's just such a cool, you know, like, moment. I've had that feeling before. Like, I'm not – my wife's into horses, right? Like, that's her thing. And every now and then – because she's not – it's not racing that's her thing. It's uh, equestrian is her thing. And every now and then I'm like, could you just maybe get into racing? Because, like, I could see myself being that guy. I could be the guy that owns the horse. I'd be all right with that. That would be a path that I could take. But uh, I don't know about this whole, you know – equestrian thing that's not really i don't think it's ever going to be for me i don't know man i appreciate the five star that's a cool thing i just don't know it's it's never it's never gotten the interest for me the same way all right we're in hour number one of today's program in just a couple of minutes we're scheduled to be joined by larry stewart coppin state basketball coach here on gcr today's show is brought to you by aj michaels expert and award-winning aj michaels heating ac plumbing and home performance will improve your home's energy efficiency and comfort levels. AC season is coming up fast. New rebates and discounts are available. More at ajmichaels.com. Uh, quickly, some responses that came into the Orioles conversation we were having. Matt Torper says, Gunner needs help. Can't hit junk pitches to save his life right now. 
Got to think Westberg, who is three years older, can do better. I I hear you. I do. I, I really do hear you. I don't think it's today. I think it's unfair to Gunner to say, despite all of your talent, despite everything you've shown, we're going to bail a month in. It's a little bit different to me. And somebody said, well, didn't you say the same thing about Dean Kramer? Yes, because he didn't have the same track record. Because the expectations from those who understand talent was not that Dean Kramer was going to be an overwhelming, top-of-the-rotation type of pitcher. So I'm less inclined to give as, I don't know, as much time to Dean Kramer as I am to give to Gunnar Henderson. But I get the argument. The argument is, at some point, what more does Jordan Westberg have to prove? And if the guy that you have up while you're trying to win is scuffling, what are we doing here? By the way, this is the uh, the person that if we uh, need to make a phone call, make that phone call there. and get, Don't give it too long since we have other things to do. Give it another minute or two and then go ahead and make that call. Um I get it. I, I really do. I understand. And my answer would probably be that I think I think Memorial Day is the date that I say that's got to be a cutoff. And maybe it needs to be sooner than that. I mean, if the offense really does scuffle over the course of the next two weeks, maybe it's Preakness Day. Maybe that does become the answer. I, I do think at this point that Gunnar Henderson has to be under the microscope. Like, I think there's no debate about that I think you have to be acknowledging what's going on acknowledging that it's a problem and particularly a problem for a team that's trying to compete and that you might have a good solution ready to go behind him I think all of that conversation needs to be happening when do you expedite the decision Man, if they did it this week, I would say that's fine. I, I'm I'm never going to be opposed to doing anything in the name of winning. I'll never be opposed to trying to be aggressive in the name of winning. But at the same time, I do think you have to make decisions reasonably. So that's where I am. If they do it, I ain't going to be angry about it. I'm going to say, good, make a decision to try to win. But if they don't, if they don't make the decision for now and they say, hey, we want to wait this out a little bit longer, I will think that to be reasonable. That's where I am with Gunnar Henderson at the moment. I get it, though. I completely understand. From Tony, uh, Tony says, Glenn, I appreciate the way that you're discussing this. I think the Orioles had what was a positive weekend, but not necessarily a good weekend. I think there's still a team that we can have faith in moving forward, but I think it's time to recognize that if they're going to make a push to the playoffs, there are multiple warts that they need to overcome, and whether that's with the guys they currently have, giving them time to get better, or making move. Yeah, I mean, I, Tony, I understand where you're going with this. I'm just going to cut it off right now. I, trades aren't happening. They don't happen in May. You can pick up somebody's junk. You can go get somebody's Austin Voth. You can do what they did with Luis Torrens. You can claim someone else's trash whenever you want. 
but the the impact trades that you're talking about, the guys that can be difference makers, those moves can't be made right now. Those moves you can't make until at the earliest June. And it was I was talking to John Heyman yesterday, uh, of course, MLB Network, and he was like, you know, and you have this ironic situation this year where the the teams at the moment that are off the bad starts are either good teams on paper that we don't think are ready to give up or teams that simply don't have anything, like the Oakland A's. Like, you can't call the Oakland A's and say, hey, can you help us out and send us a piece right now? They have no pieces. And that makes this complicated. Like Stan's talking about Eduardo Rodriguez, but the way the Tigers are playing, do they look like a team that's going to be ready to move on from Eduardo Rodriguez? It's Which isn't to say I don't want him. It's just that's sort of the, the nature of the beast. Let's switch gears here on GCR this morning. I'm uh, really excited for our next guest who is getting his opportunity to be the head coach at his alma mater. He is a Coppin State legend, and now he is the new head coach for the men's basketball team at Coppin. He is Larry Stewart, and he is with us now here on GCR. Coach, it's Glenn in Baltimore. Congratulations on taking the reins of the program. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Oh, man, no, no problem. First and foremost, I want to thank you for having me on and, uh, you know, just uh, uh, looking forward to this opportunity. And I appreciate you, uh, you know, giving me this opportunity to speak with you today. Yeah, it's so good to chat thank with you, you, Coach. Can you, can you just sort of take me through? I, I know I heard some of it come out in the press conference on Friday, but what your emotions have been, right, on this journey to get to this point and as you've tried to crack through um, and get this opportunity for it to come at your alma mater at a place that you once led to an NCAA tournament. I know how much you care about it. What did it mean to you to to get this moment to be named the head coach? Oh, man, it it, uh, it means everything, you know, and it's just more proof to me that, uh, you know, if you just stick to it, you put your head down, you continue to work hard, you grind, you know, that your dreams can come true. And so, it's pretty much no words, you know, to describe how I'm feeling. You know, Coppin is where I grew up, you know, and it's, it's, uh, you know, it taught me a lot. You know, the city, uh, the city of Baltimore taught me a lot. And, you know, I've made this my home. And so this opportunity, man, you know, I'm just ecstatic and just looking forward, you know, to being a vessel for these young men. You, maybe more than anybody else, you know the uniqueness of a job like Coppin, right? Like, it's not like other yeah. guys that maybe have taken this post-fang where they can't quite understand it. You know that even amongst HBCUs, it's a different job, right? Like, it is a, a tougher thing to do. Did you did that cross your mind at all in this process? Why are you ready for the, the unique challenge that being the head coach at Coppin presents? Well, I mean, you know, first and foremost, God is good, right? And so he has prepared me. You know, at first, you know, he opened the door for me at Bowie State, you know, CIAA school under Coach Brooks, and, you know, when he first, you know, it was it was his first head coaching job at his alma mater. And so I got to learn under him and build a program there first and foremost at Bowie State. And so we turned that around and, you know, won a couple of championships. And then so God, you know, in turn after that, opened another door for me to, you know, go and uh, get an opportunity to uh, uh, be an assistant at a, at a Division One program, which was Morgan State. And so I got to learn from another great coach, you know, who has – you know, won me at championships and so in Coach Todd Bozeman. And so, you know, I, I just think that God has opened all the doors for me and uh, to prepare me for this moment. You know, I've, I've uh, had some great mentors, 
you know, as a player, you know, and as a, a, a you know, working for some, some coaches who are just great coaches and, you know, gave me the opportunity to, you know, learn and uh, uh, grow. Did, did you share a conversation in the last week with Fang at all? Yes, yes. I've I've uh, spoken with Fang on several occasions. Uh, he's given me some great advice. Uh, so, yes, I'm, I'm in contact with Fang. i also in contact with Coach Brown. And so, you know, again, man, I just say God is good because, you know, these people are just still in my life, you know, and they're still teaching me things to this day. What is it that you, you know, like, again, Larry Stewart is with us. He is, of course, now the head coach at Coppin State. We're chatting with him on GCR. What is it that you would say you do as a coach that maybe most reflects that, that time that you spent with Fang? Like, he's such an, a, a larger-than-life figure in this area, right? We, we have such reverence for Fang. As a coach, yeah. what do you do that you – when you do it, you're like, man, I'm, that's just Fang coming out in me. Like, what, do you, what, do you, what is it in you as a coach that most resembles Fang Mitchell? Well, I, I would say, you know, a lot of people don't, you know, they assume that I'm quiet, you know, which I am. Um, I'm just a humble guy. But in between the lines, you know, I'm, I'm just a, a different character, you know. Um, so I, I would say I get that, you know, some of that energy and some of that uh, toughness for sure from, you know, having to, <laughs> first of all, go, go through a fang practice and, you know, have them <laughs> yelling and getting on you and stuff like that. And then, you know, so, you know, I, I, I know for sure I'm going to get that, you know, get that from him and also from Coach Brown. That toughness, that, you know, never quit attitude, you know, that uh, I always want the best, you know, to come out for, for these young men. I, and I appreciate that. And I think that's all that you can ask for in this program. What is it going to take, Coach? Yeah. How, again, as I talk about the uniqueness of this job, right, like you got to go play games in order to – help yes. the program make the money that they need for the budget, but you also have to play home games because you got a beautiful building there. you got to try to yes. win some games so that the team doesn't, yes. you know, feel overwhelmed by the record to start this. Like, how do you make this all work in order to get Coppin State back to the place where you guys can return to the NCAA tournament? Well, it's, it's you know, first and foremost, you have to understand that it's the process, right? You know, you have to come in, you have to build that culture, you have to get in the right recruits. And so, you know, the main thing is, is for me is that, you know, I always realizing that it's not about me. You know, it's about these young men. It's about teaching and growing. And it's about getting the cop and brand back, you know, to where it once was. And so as long as I stick with that philosophy, you know, the wins will come. It's not easy winning. Everybody thinks that it's easy. And so that's one of the hardest things you can do. And so, you know, I'm going to look to build a program, you know, based on, uh, being the best at doing the little things. And so, you know, because we all know those are the things that typically, you know, lose you basketball games. And so, you know, I'm just looking forward for the challenge, you know. Um, you know, it's not going to be easy. Um, and so uh, I'm just ready to uh, get get to work. Do you feel like it still matters to people? Like the ability for you to say to a young man, "I this is my path. I went to Coppin. Yes. I reached an NCAA yes. tournament. I played in the NBA yes. successfully. Did everything yeah. that you want to do? Do you? And I'm, I'm sure you have had those conversations as you've been recruiting at Morgan and UMES. Yeah. Do you feel like that still resonates and can get kids to choose to come to Coppin State that otherwise might not? Oh uh, man, most definitely it resonates, right? Because every student athlete, you know, and, uh, and, and particularly in basketball, everyone wants to, you know, play professional, right? That is their that is their ultimate dream, right? If, even if they want to share it or not, you know. Every year and every coach that I've worked for, 
you know, they, they asked that question, you know, simply on the first day of practice, you know, what, what is it that you want to accomplish? And, you know, uh, to a man, they're going to say, I want to play professional. And so that's what resonates with, with uh, players and myself, you know, um, I was able to live my dream. And so, you know, it's one of the reasons why I got into coaching because I, I want some young man to, you know, to feel, you know, have that feeling that I've had, you know, putting on that NBA jersey, um, and, you know, traveling the world and doing all these things. And so, you know, that, that resonates because that's, that's what they want to do. Hey, I, I know there's been some concern in recent years, Coach, about the overall health of the MEAC as, as some schools have been poached by other programs. It's a league that you've been yeah. in for a long time. How, how confident were you about the health of the league, about the health of Coppin, even without having a football program, that you said, hey, I, I don't have to worry about any of that stuff. I'm not, I'm not, I'm, this is a job that I can take knowing nothing crazy is about to happen in the next few years. Well, that, that all comes from the vision, the vision of President uh, Dr. Jenkins and, you know, Athletic Director Derek Carr. You know, their vision, right? Uh, I think we are tied together with what we are trying to accomplish for Coppin. And so, you know, the leadership that is there, you know, I have full confidence in them. And so, you know, that's why, you know, there's no worries for me. I, and I, I respect that, and I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing that success. How do you... How do you go about getting people to like, you know, do you have to go personally make it your vision now to like go around the community and say, hey, we need you out here. We need you to come. We, we could use a little bit of help. We're trying to build something here. I know how much support there is for you around this city. I, I talk to people about you all the time. How do you now tap into that support that exists for you to get people to come out and support Coppin State basketball? Well, first and foremost, man, I and my, my, my program, we have to be accessible. Right. And so, no, again, it's not about me. Right. It's not about me. It's about copping. It's about getting this brand back to where it once was. And so that has just always been my philosophy. You know, it's I've been blessed with with the will to be the best. I've been blessed with, uh, you know, the love of this game of basketball. And, then, you know, I've also just been blessed with the desire to, to be of service. And so that's where it's going to start. Me and my, my program, we have to be you know, accessible, you know, and we will be in the community, you know, uh, or wherever uh, we're needed. And so that's, that's where it's going to start at right there. Have you, have you started making staff decisions yet? I know, I know it's not, you're not the only steward that's in this coaching game. Is there any <laughs> chance, is there any chance there might be one, maybe two that join you on the bench? Yeah. You know, I, I am, uh, you know, actually I will have my, you know, I still haven't officially, officially, uh, you know, you know, started yet. And so I'm working through that process okay. right now. Uh, you know, I'll head to the school over there today and, uh, you know, kind of figure some things out, you know, uh, but yes, you know, I have some great, uh, you know, people in, in mind to be on my staff, uh, just have to, you know, figure some things out first. I, I understand that coach. Could you just, before I let you go, was there a moment that you, you know, when you, when you were back, when it, once it was official, once the job was yours, did you have a moment on campus? You know, obviously the building is not where you played, right? Like that's changed yeah. a lot over the years. <laughs> but did you have a moment where like you just sat down and reflected about how truly special this is for it to work out this way for you to be there? No doubt. Um, you know, before my press conference, I, you know, I, I took and walked around the campus. And so, you know, I took that moment to, to bring it all in to, you know, to, to vision, you know, first and foremost, how it was when I first walked on that campus, you know, and then to, you know, see what it is now. And so I did have that moment. I took it all in. And so, 
you know, I'm ready. You know, I'm, I'm uh, grateful for the opportunity, right, that Dr. Jenkins and A.D. Carter, you know, gave me. And so, um, yeah, I did have that moment. I did shed some tears, you know, because, again, this is a place uh, where I grew up at and have uh, very, very special uh, memories. That's awesome. Coach, we're so happy for you, and there are so many people that were so excited to see you get this opportunity. This is our promise we're going to be in touch. We're going to talk about your program. Yes, we are going to yes. make sure that you know that we matter, and we're going to show up. We'll see us at games, yes. and we look forward to seeing what it is that you're going to be able to do here in the next few years at your alma mater. Coach Larry Stewart, thank you yes. for taking the time for All us right, this morning. All right, thank you. One, one, one thing, man, Eagle Nation, let's go ahead and cop those uh, season tickets. Eagle there you Nation, go. Let's right? go. Need that support. Thank you, Coach. Appreciate yes. you doing this this thank morning. Thank you. Appreciate you. Coach Larry Stewart, uh, new Coppin State basketball coach, of course, one of the greatest players in Coppin history, and uh, rose to this moment as he will take over this season. I have said it a million times. We'll talk to Patrick about it tomorrow. It is not an easy job. It is unique even among HBCU jobs. It is difficult. But I'll root for Larry Stewart, and I think it's a really cool story that it worked out that uh, he ends up being the guy to lead the program moving forward. Pressboxonline.com slash offers. For sports betting, when you sign up, make sure you're taking advantage of all the free money incentives that's out there for you. Free bets. For example, PointsBet will give you five second chance bets when you deposit and bet your first $50. But you can only take advantage of that if you go to Pressboxonline.com slash offers. Orioles and Rays begin a series tonight. We're going to preview it next. Doug Wachter, former MLB pitcher, now a part of the Rays broadcast crew. He'll check in with us next. It's Glenn Clark Radio. What air conditioning company can save 50% of your energy cost and qualify you for up to $7,500 in rebates? A.J. Michaels. We do more. We do it better for less. In Baltimore and Annapolis, ajmichaels.com. The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, Luke Jackson looks at the pipeline of talent still to come for the Orioles, diving in on last year's number one pick, Jackson Holiday, and other top prospects like Colton Kowser, Heston Kerstad, Kobe Mayo, and more. Also inside, Todd Karpovich profiles Orioles pitcher Kyle Gibson, and Bo Smolka breaks down what progress would mean for the team's 2022 draft picks in their second pro season. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farms stores and you can always find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. The All-America Senior Game powered by New Balance will be back at Johns Hopkins Homewood Field on July 29th. The most decorated girls and boys lacrosse players in the country have been invited to play in what is the premier lacrosse event of the year. Every college coach wants their players in this game, and if you dream of being in this game, you start by trying out for one of your regional underclass teams this summer. The best against the best. Get your tickets now at allamericalacrosse.com. That first sip, that first bite, mm. starts your day off right with a delicious breakfast at Royal Farms. Choose from a fantastic selection of fresh Royal Farms breakfast sandwiches and top it off with a rich hot cup of the freshest coffee in the world. At Royal Farms, breakfast is available day and night. It's the freshest breakfast in the world. Real fresh, real fast, Royal Farms. 
Costas Inn has been serving up delicious steamed crabs for over 50 years. Lately, the crabs you want to eat when the weather warms up have gotten harder and harder to get, so get your crab-eating game plan in place. Make sure to stick this number on your fridge, 410-477-1975. Call ahead and reserve the size crabs you want. You may be able to walk in, but you may also be disappointed at the size or maybe even get shut out altogether. So call ahead, have a plan, and then arrive on your crab-eating vacation. Costas also has delicious crab soup and crab cakes. The Costas Inn at 4100 North Point Boulevard. For more than 50 years, they've been satisfying crab lovers in and around Baltimore. Make the most out of every day in your Toyota RAV4. Available in hybrid or gas-only models. A RAV4 can get you where you want to go in style. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new RAV4s from your local Toyota dealer today. Check out PressBoxOnline.com every day to find daily winners and betting advice from Jeremy Kahn. And if you want some advice about life decisions that you probably shouldn't make, here's Glenn Clark. Oh, say, have you seen all of Maryland's minor league baseball parks? PressBox is giving you the chance to check all of them out this summer. Head over to PressBoxOnline.com slash contests right now and sign up to win four tickets to each of the local minor league baseball teams, plus an Easy Pass Maryland on-the-go transponder preloaded with $25 and a $50 gas card from Royal Farms to help you get around. You must be 18 or older, and the sweepstakes ends on June 14th. Get over to PressBoxOnline.com contest right now in order to sign up. Hey, real quick, apparently there was a note from Peter King today. We've made the expectation that the NFL schedule will be announced this Thursday night. Um, Peter King, apparently in his uh, NBC Sports column, says, might not be ready yet, which is kind of some last-minute scrambling to get the homework done. Make sure they get the right storylines for each week. Well, really, I think somebody wrote a couple weeks ago they were genuinely waiting for Aaron Rodgers to be official. They were genuinely waiting for Lamar Jackson to potentially be official because it does, like, change how many primetime games games you want to schedule the Jets or the – Packer. I mean, the Packers are going to be a brand no matter what. But the Jets, or frankly, I, you know, as much as we're Ravens fans around here, if if Tyler Huntley's your quarterback, <laughs> networks ain't signing up and saying we need that on Monday night. We need that on Sunday night or the primetime afternoon games. So the word was that the NFL was maybe a little bit delayed in being able to put together the schedule because they specifically wanted those things to fall in place before they could. My guess is they get it all figured out in the next couple of days and they make it work so they can do the show on Thursday night. But Peter King says might not be the case. What is the case is that the Orioles and Rays are going to open up a huge series tonight in Baltimore, the biggest series these teams have played against each other in a very long time. Joining us now, he's a former Rays pitcher, part of their broadcast crew. He is Doug Wechter, and he's with us here on GCR. Doug, it's Glenn in Baltimore. It's great to chat with you, man. Thank you for taking a couple of minutes for us this morning. Yeah, of course. I mean, look, like you said, Glenn, this is uh, the big series. A lot of excitement. I know down here in St. Pete, Tampa Bay area, uh, they've been looking forward to this series, knowing how good Baltimore is this year. It should be a lot of fun. Just like everybody said, the biggest series in the American League East all season long is Rays-Orioles, just like we all knew it would be, right? Like, we nailed it before the season. Um, That's that's exactly right. Doug, we all knew the Rays were going to be good, right? Like, that's not surprising to anybody, but this is insanity. This is, you know, flirting with one of the best teams, you know, in, in the history of baseball, and I get it. It's very early on in the season. How has this happened how have we gone from this is a good team to this is damn near an unbeatable team 
Yeah, uh, honestly, that's a great question. You know, I've covered this team for the last, this will be my ninth year covering, being a part of the broadcast crew. And, you know, I, I pitched for the team. Shoot, I pitched for them right. um, back around 2003 through 2008. So, you know, I've seen this franchise. Uh, I've seen a lot of this franchise. And this is by far the best team I've seen them put on the field. Uh, and the biggest difference, it's crazy because you're talking about an offense. We knew pitching-wise, we knew defense was going to be strong. Both those categories have been strong for the Rays, you know, over the last four or five years. But offensively, it's been one of those stories that they just need to scrape together three, four runs, and, you know, the Rays should be able to get the W. Uh, going into this year, they, they didn't make really any big acquisitions offensively. You know, everybody was talking about them needing to go out and get a left-handed power bat. Uh, that was one of the spots they definitely needed to improve on. And so with really no acquisitions, nobody was really thinking the power or the offense was going to be that much different. And that has been the biggest surprise. You know, the biggest surprise is the fact that they're hitting home runs at a clip that, you know, no other team's ever done. Mm. Uh, driving the ball out of the park, hitting with power. You know, they're leading just about every offensive category. And you, you talk to Chad Mattel, the hitting coach, who has been here for years. And you talk to him about the big turnaround, and he really attributes it to a buy-in to a new approach for, you know, the entire lineup. And what I mean by that is uh, he has really put an emphasis on being a lot more selective at the plate, trying to find ways to get in better counts throughout the entire lineup. And by doing so, you're seeing the raise, the walk rate for the entire team is going up. The strikeout rate is about the same where it was last year. But the power numbers are out of this world. And so what's happening is they're finding themselves in better counts. And by getting in better counts, they're taking more calculated risks on when they could drive the ball out of the park. They're trying to lift the ball a little bit more in better counts. And you're seeing guys like Yandy Diaz go out there and have career years when you're talking about power. You know, Randy Rosarena coming off the big WBC when he played so well for Mexico, he's kind of just kept going with that momentum into the regular season. And top to bottom through this order, they're so thick with power. That's really been the biggest surprise. And, you know, they attribute it back to the new approach. What's scary to me is that they're this good and Brandon Lau isn't really even helping all that. I know he still hits some home runs. I don't want to say he's not. But, like, what's scary to me is that you would look at the lineup and say, there might be room for them to be even better if Brandon Lau, of course, former Terp, just kind of regresses to the mean a little bit. Yeah, it's crazy, and I love how you slid that in, former Terp. Yeah, That's beautiful. We, we will continue um, to yeah, root. We, will, it's, it's, we won't root for him for the next three days, but we'll other than that always root for Brandon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's a good dude, yeah. Um, but I will say, you're, you're right on point. Look, Brandon Lau has not hit his stride yet. Uh, he going in was one of the hitters that, you know, the Rays were anticipating is going to have a good year and still will most likely. Uh, but right. He, he is not, you know, mid season form. Uh, and you know, it's funny because other guys top to bottom have picked up where Brandon is, is, uh, down, right. You got an order. So yesterday I'll take this, for example, this lineup so thick yesterday, you know, we're going up against the Yankees, uh, Garrett Cole. Derek Cole going into yesterday's game was 5-0, and uh, probably the best right-hander in the game at, that, at this point in time, okay? Um, we were down six runs in the fifth inning, and the Rays were able to get back into the game because of the power game. And the power came from the Christian Bethancourt and Jose Siri, both hmm. uh, seven- and nine-hole hitters. Hmm. So what I'm saying is basically our lineup has been so thick 
that you can have a guy like Brandon Lau who will eventually start hitting really well. You can have him slumping because we have so many other guys in this order picking him up uh, from top to bottom. And, you know, Wanda Franco has been so good throughout the year. He's been one of those guys consistently hitting Randy Rosarena, Yandy Diaz. They're all at the top. But you can't sleep on the bottom of this order because the bottom has almost been just as productive. Ah, it's scary. That is really scary, <laughs> Doug, for an Orioles team that has not pitched very well this season, although it did pitch pretty well this weekend in Atlanta. Um, uh, let me just, if I could, Doug Wechter is with us, former Rays pitcher, now part of the broadcast team as we get ready for Orioles-Rays tonight. Doug, the other, the, the, you know, the guy that we're going to see tonight technically is a Baltimore native, by the way, Shane McClanahan, although he moved when he was very, very young. I, he's clearly become one of the best pitchers in all of baseball. I'm going to ask the same question. How? How did it happen for Shane McClanahan over the last couple of years that he became, again, unbeatable is the word that comes to mind, just so ungodly dominant for the for the Tampa Bay Rays? Yeah, yeah, no doubt he has been. And look, I, I'm we're trying to claim him as a native down here, too. I don't so blame you. you I don't blame you. Right? We're trying to claim Shane. <laughs> um I'll tell you what happened is he's gotten to work with Kyle Snyder, pitching coach for the Rays. And, you know, I'm biased. Um, I know Kyle very well, and I get to watch him work every day. I think he's the best in the game. Uh, he, he does so well with so many different guys. But his his technique and, and the way he works is that he gets these guys to trust him and buy into a system where you get you get your pitchers throwing strikes and throwing strikes consistently with all your pitches, not really – you know, specific guys dialing it in to certain locations. But instead, you know, with Shane McClanahan, for instance, you get him in the zone because he has the stuff that plays in the zone, okay? So what the Rays like to do is get these power pitchers and get them in the strike zone, get them in favorable counts. And, you know, the analytics say that if you're getting these pitches in the zone and they're still moving the same way, then you're going to get outs. And so Shane McClanahan essentially has become a strike thrower with four-plus pitches, right? The fastball, the slider have been outstanding. Um, the changeup is really the pitch over the last year that has come along the, the most. This is a pitch that consistently gets, you know, in the 40 to 50 percentile in whiff rate, which is just unbelievable when you think about it. Um, it came in about two years ago with that being his fourth pitch now. You know, this is a guy who can go out there. He can be behind the count, you know, 1-0, 2-0, and throw this changeup at any point. And when you're talking about a left-hander who sits 96, 97 miles an hour with movement, and you're talking about him being able to place, you know, secondary pitches behind in the count for a strike, that's where he becomes so dangerous. That's where his game is up to another level. And then you add in, I mean, this dude is so competitive on the mound. He is so strong when he's talking about wanting to win and just his focus on the game and just to do anything to get that W. Uh, you add that personality in with his stuff. Uh, it's a lethal combination. And really, that's why he's going to be a candidate for a Cy Young after this season because, you know, he, he's got everything it takes to be a number one in this league. Doug, I'm going to ask a question that I usually don't ask unless we're talking about, like, a, a really good football team, right? Like, I, I'll ask this question because – you know, sometimes you, you, when we do this and it's football season, a team is just so good that you can't figure out how they're vulnerable. In baseball, normally everybody's vulnerable. It's baseball, right? Like you're going to lose games some. But that's how insane the Rays have been this season. So when I ask this question, I'm saying, in what way might they be vulnerable over the next three days? Like what is the roadmap to, hey, if you're going to beat the Rays, 
right now, you have to do this in order to make sure you get it done. Yeah. Yeah, so you're asking for secrets, huh? Essentially, it's so rare. It's so rare. It's so rare for them to have lost a game that we're trying to figure out what it takes in order for uh, it to happen. <laughs> no, I love it. I love it. Um, you know, I would say on paper right now they're still ranked very, very strong. Uh, the bullpen core for the Rays is going through some injuries and, and going through some issues there. Uh, Pete Fairbanks still on the IL. He's the closer. The dude hasn't given up a run, and my goodness, it's got to be over. I think it's almost 30 innings now. Um, so you have a couple of smaller issues in the bullpen, and outside of that, I would say there really is no Achilles heel to this team. And honestly, once the bullpen gets healthy, uh, I think that'll be a strength as well. But when you're looking just over the last, I would say week to week and a half. The one place you might be able to get to the Rays would be if I had to pick a spot, uh, might be that bullpen here recently. But again, you know, that's me trying to pick a negative out of a, yeah. a, a team that has been so strong. You know, it, it's still a strength of theirs. It's just not as strong as some of the other aspects of the game. Uh, Doug, before I let you go, if I could, before the season began, uh, Orioles owner John Angelos did a press conference and referred a couple of times to his hopes that the Orioles can be the next Tampa was the quote. And it jumped out at me a little bit because we've assumed that the Orioles wanted to be the Astros, and that's why they hired Mike Elias and Sig Meidel and seemed to be replicating the Astros so much. And so it was a bit of a pivot, and it, it led to a lot of debate here in Baltimore about, well, boy, the Rays are competitive all the time, and you like that, right? Like, you want to be a team that competes constantly. But they're also a team that never really spends money. Like, they've been in the bottom third of payroll eternally like they've never said despite the success that we've had we're going to step up and we're going to spend money what do you make of it the idea that a team wants to be like the Rays the good the bad all of it the idea that that's what the Orioles now are shifting their focus towards is trying to become sort of a model of the Tampa Bay Rays sure well I will tell you this I don't think the Orioles are the only team whether they're saying it or not that want to mimic a lot what the Rays are doing uh, if you look at the way that the Rays front office and, and staff uh, gets hired away every single season, you can tell that just about every club along, along the way uh, wants to do at least some part of what the Rays have done over the last, you know, call it five to ten years. Um, it's something special what they're doing in Tampa and the way they have built it up. And, yeah, you know, um, there's always talk about the finances, how they, they don't spend the way that the Orioles do. Or, I'm sorry, not the Orioles, but right. really – you know, the Yankees and some of these other teams, uh, and they're still in it. Um, so, you know, that being said, it's take the finances out of it. This is one of the strongest franchises you can find in the game of baseball. And I don't say that because they're doing so well at the major league level. I, I think I'm also talking really about how deep the minor league system is. And, you know, when you're looking at what franchise you really want to follow, I think we're really lucky to be down here following Tampa because – you know, they're built to win for now, right? But they're also built to win for the long haul. They have rebuilt this minor league system to where they replenish every single year. And so for the next, you know, call it five to seven years, there's not really a small window where you see the Rays, you know, having to win because they won't have, because that window will close. I mean, at this point in time, you just think that window is going to stay open for a long time because of the way they built this franchise up. So it's easy to see why other clubs would love to have that model. And it's easy to understand that. 
Um, and all that being said, I think they do ultimately understand that this year is going to be a really good chance for them to go very deep in the playoffs, if not one at all. Uh, I do anticipate them spending money and making moves uh, just to be able to capitalize on, on this year at some point in time. Maybe it's a trade deadline. Maybe it's a little bit beforehand. But, you know, we do see them occasionally make some moves okay. that – uh, in their own calculated way, that is them spending and, and trying to push for that big running off er, in the outpost. I, I think it's the only part, Doug, that like you know jumped out. Like, hey, yes, that sounds good. Go try to be competitive every year for decades. That sounds great to us, right? Like, all on board with that. But will you be willing to step up and make the moves? And I think it's the question we're asking here in Baltimore. And I, I you know, to hear that maybe there's going to be a little bit of that in Tampa, I think, is significant. Uh, Doug Wechter, at Doug Wechter 10 on Twitter is how folks can follow you. Of course, Orioles Rays start for three games tonight. Really appreciate it, man. Thanks for hopping on with us this morning. We're looking forward to it. It should be a fun three days here in Baltimore. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, I really enjoyed it, boys. You guys have a great one up there. And, uh, yeah, it should be a great series. No question. Thanks, brother. Doug Wechter with us here on GCR. Appreciate him taking the time for us. And um, it feels big. I get it. Typically, the big crowds in Baltimore are for Yankees and Red Sox games. Like, There's probably not going to be a lot of Rays fans making the trip to Baltimore. It doesn't normally work that way. They live in Tampa. So like, they're not normally looking to get away from there. Whereas, you know, sometimes it's when you're in Boston or New York, you're like, hey, I could come down to Baltimore for the week. Um, it feels like a week where there should be some big crowds. It feels like a week where there should be some folks that wake up and say, yeah, it's worth going to a baseball game tonight. And sure, like it it would have been nice if the Orioles had literally just won one more game this weekend of the two that they could have won. Then there might be even more electricity because you'd be talking about how they just went and won a series against the best team in the National League. But this feels big. This feels like not your typical week. They don't maybe have the same. The funny thing is, like, Randy Rosarena is a legitimate superstar. I get that. Like, it feels like Orioles fans have been circling next week on the calendar because it's Shohei, because it's the Angels, because it's. I I get it. Like, those are more name brand guys. But Randy Rosarena is a pretty massive star in this sport. Wander Franco is a legitimate superstar at this point. This is a good week to maybe take a night and say, hey, let's, uh, Let's wander over and watch some baseball. I, I I would like to hope that there will be some decent crowds in Baltimore this week for Orioles Rays as it feels like a very, very big series. Weather is supposed to be okay. Did I see some yeah, rain tomorrow? Uh, yeah, I, I look outside and I see some clouds and I'm like, eh, I hope that's not gonna I think screw it is supposed anything. to rain tomorrow during the day, maybe. I don't know if it's supposed to rain all day. Uh, um, I'm looking at the weather right now. But let's, I think the rest of the week is supposed to be let's nice. Let's go ahead, take this a homestand should be nice. Yeah, of course, the Pirates this weekend. Um, yeah, tonight looks fine. No rain at all. And then tomorrow, as you pointed out, rain during the day. It's There's still a small chance of rain on into tomorrow evening, but not at the moment. It doesn't look overwhelming. And then Wednesday night looks good, too. Yeah, it'll be a good week. Good week to get to a ball game. I have, unfortunately, I'm, I can't do either the next two nights because I've got, I got games. Maybe I could do Wednesday. Oh, no, my son's got a lacrosse game. Piss. What's the schedule this weekend? Can I get the boys? That's the problem with me working Sundays now. It's like the best day to try to take your kid to a baseball game. And I can't ever go because I work on Sundays now. Like an idiot. I signed up to work the only day I have off. Uh, 7 o'clock on Friday and Saturday yeah, for Pittsburgh. 
It's still a tough. It's still a tough sell. It's still a difficult sell for me to be able to get. I skip, I skip the game. Skip the lacrosse game Wednesday night. Uh, I can't skip my son's. It's well, no, my five-year-old's no, lacrosse take him game. With you. I understand that, but like he wants to play in the lacrosse game, Griffin. That's the way that. Tell him that he's watching greatness I was, on the diamond. That's a good point, right? Like you're not gonna you're These not gonna be able to see teams, this any other. The two time. best teams in baseball. Not gonna be able to see this any other time. Um, I guess I could maybe take him out to uh, Saturday. The probably the the night thing is still a difficult thing for my kids. Like it's still a tough sell for my wife. To be like, hey, let's take the kids out to a 7 o'clock baseball game. And that's the problem, too. The weekend games are still at 7. They're not at 6.30 like they are during the week. Which would be nice. It would be nice for that to be the case. But it is, alas, not the case. Which is a real issue for me. Uh, I had a couple other things on my list for this week. I think I'm looking at next Monday for definitely definitely next Monday if I have can't you, do any Have you continued to monitor the when Shohei would pitch thing that you um, were looking at on Friday? I was. I... I, I, I was looking at I need it. you I to need be the to captain of that. I need when you When is Otani pitching? Yeah, I need okay. you to figure out like ahead of time what everybody should be thinking about as far as hey, you're definitely going to want to be at this game, maybe buy your tickets ahead of time because we're zeroing in on it being the game. The 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 part that you brought up where you're like, "Hey, it is actually possible that he's lined up for Sunday and then the yeah, Orioles would miss, miss him, him as a pitcher." Mm-hmm. Would you would be a bummer from a Look, you're still going to get to see Shohei. He's still going to be here for 4 days. It's just the idea that you're going to miss him pitching would be a, a quite the bummer for this team. I need you to be the captain of that. I need you to stay on top of when he's would supposed to pitch Tuesday. Oh, okay. He's supposed to pitch tomorrow so, night. So, and then what? What is their schedule? So then they have. Do they play on Thursday. They do not play on Thursday. So, so then it would be Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So he would be in he, line. He would be in line for Monday to pitch on Monday. So what you're saying? He's pitching tomorrow. They don't play Thursday. Right? We're confirming mm-hmm. both things. Yes, yes. So you would suggest, Griffin Bass's suggestion. That's my suggestion, yeah. To the Baltimore population is, Monday get the your tickets for next Monday to be at Camden Yards because you believe Shohei will be pitching on Monday. That is my belief, yeah. I'm locking them in. It'd also be a, I bet, I bet that would be a night that they would get a bunch of the uh, the folks that are coming into town for the, maybe, I mm-hmm. like, this is the type of thing where, like, Maybe some of the other trainers and owners would come in early. Like, if the Preakness folks say, hey, by the way, we take you to the game on Monday night, Shohei Otani's supposed to pitch. Oof. I feel like you could create a even big week. Maybe have uh, Javier. Uh, the jockeys don't come in until late, but maybe you have um, Gustavo Delgado throw out mm-hmm. like the first pitch <laughs> at the Orioles game on Monday night. That would be cool. I like the sounds of all this. It would have been even cooler if uh, Dermasotagake had won. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. And then you had, like, the Japanese connections wow. in with Shohei. That would have been really dope. That would have been cool. Um, but, yeah, that would be a very neat night if it works out that way. So, again, the suggestion of Griffin Bass, ladies and gentlemen. And look at that. Look at look at that face. That looks like a face you could trust. Yeah. Doesn't it? Yeah, Doesn't that look like I, a face? Look at I that head of that. hair. You can't trust that head of hair, huh? That man right there says, plan to be at the baseball game on Monday night to go see Shohei Otani. So I would go ahead and make your plans right now, get your tickets, line up uh, babysitter, whatever you got to do in order to be at the baseball game on Monday night. It's difficult for me because I play, of course, uh, trivia on Monday nights. Mm. But I would, a lifetime I would be willing here. to skip. I'm, I'm saying right now, I'd be willing to take a – if we wanted to take like a class field trip to the game on Monday night, if we wanted to invite listeners to come join us and say we're all going to – like, go sit in whatever section. If we wanted to take a class field trip on Monday night, I'd be willing to skip trivia 
next Monday if that's the case. If we if we are committed to the idea that Shohei is going to pitch, then I'm willing to do that. Sure. All right, sure. I'm, I'm I'm making that happen. All right, when do good. when do we fully commit to it? Um, I guess whenever they make it official that he's going to start Monday. But that I wouldn't be know. until they're not going to do that until like Saturday. Well, <laughs> and uh, we'll run okay. out of time. All right, well, today, right now. You're saying we officially commit? I think maybe he makes a start tomorrow night. Okay. Right. As long as nothing crazy happens, he comes out of it. Everything's good. And then on Wednesday we have the conversation again. Okay. Like, are we confident? Because then you know it could still there could still be a rain out or something yeah. like that could yeah. screw it. Where where what's their schedule this week? They're at Cleveland over the weekend. When what about during the week? Where are they? Oh, they're they're at they're home against Houston. Okay. Tonight, tomorrow, Wednesday, okay. off on Thursday, and they go to Cleveland. They okay, go to Cleveland this go weekend. Go to Baltimore. All right. All right. Very good. Um, okay, let's grab a break. When we come back in, Jeremy Khan will join us. Today's show is also brought to you by your local Toyota dealer and by Toyota.com. The Toyota Tacoma comes in a range of models and trim lines, so you can choose the perfect Tacoma to reflect your unique personality and driving habits. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new Tacomas from your local Toyota dealer today. Glenn Clark Radio. Are you a diehard O's fan looking for the perfect way to show your team spirit? Look no further than Birdland Sports. Birdland Sports is a small business run by fans for fans. They offer a wide variety of unofficial O's merchandise from the Birds Are Coming tees to player cartoon shirts and more. And the best part? Their prices are more affordable than the big guys. So head to BirdlandSports.com and grab your gear today. Show your support for the Birds with Birdland Sports. The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, Luke Jackson looks at the pipeline of talent still to come for the Orioles, diving in on last year's number one pick, Jackson Holiday, and other top prospects like Colton Kowser, Heston Kerstad, Kobe Mayo, and more. Also inside, Todd Karpovich profiles Orioles pitcher Kyle Gibson, and Bo Smolka breaks down what progress would mean for the team's 2022 draft picks in their second pro season. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farms stores and you can always find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com That first sip That first bite mm. Starts your day off right with a delicious breakfast at Royal Farms Choose from a fantastic selection of fresh Royal Farms breakfast sandwiches and top it off with a rich hot cup of the freshest coffee in the world At Royal Farms, breakfast is available daily Day and night, it's the freshest breakfast in the world. Real fresh, real fast, Royal Farms. Hartford Community College in Bel Air, Maryland, along with the National Junior College Athletic Association's Region 20, will host the 2023 NJCAA Men's Lacrosse National Championship May 13th and 14th at Hartford Sports Complex, 401 Thomas Run Road in Bel Air. Semifinals are on Saturday, May 13th. The National Championship is Sunday, May 14th. Catch the action for $10 each day. Tickets will be available in advance or at the gate on game day. Qualifying teams will be announced. What air conditioning company can save 50% of your energy cost and qualify you for up to $7,500 in rebates? AJ Michaels. We do more, we do it better for less. In Baltimore and Annapolis, AJMichaels.com. If you miss anything on the show, don't forget that you can watch full episodes at youtube.com slash pressbox online. And you can download podcasts on Apple, iTunes, Amazon, and Grinder. Wait. Did I say Grinder? I don't think that you would find it on Grinder. Not that I know what's on Grinder or anything. I swear. On second thought, you know what? I don't care what you think. Here's Glenn. 
DraftKings wants to give you up to a $1,000 deposit bonus match plus a $50 free bet. They just want to give that to you. But there's only one way that you can go about taking advantage of it, and that's by going to PressBoxOnline.com offers. PressBoxOnline.com offers. That's not the only incentive that you'll find there, but that one is pretty appealing. And again, you can only take advantage of it from PressBoxOnline.com offers. You know what I just realized? Jeremy Kahn is in Jamaica. <laughs> it just struck me. Should I hang up or see if he He's answers? He's in Jamaica. <laughs> we weren't going to be able to do this week, and we utterly forgot that. That is not our finest moment. <laughs> Remember, he left last Wednesday to go to Jamaica, and we completely blanked on that as we were preparing today's show. Just utterly forgot that Jeremy is unavailable today. Boy, did we screw that up. That's not on him. That's on us. That is a total misfire in my calculations. Damn, did I? I should have remembered that. And we should have. Normally, when that happens, we book someone else to replace Jeremy, right? Like we'll have, you know, Rita or somebody do Jeremy's segment if, for whatever reason, that week he can't do it. I screwed that up entirely. On um, what was the song from season one of of uh, Dave? I f the whole thing up. I said I don't I don't remember how the rest of the song yeah, goes. It sounds right. It was a weird episode of Dave last week, by the way. Also, I tried Bupkis. I know we're not doing tubular right now. I tried Bupkis this weekend. They there's nothing to see. Here's the problem. There's enough it has to be worth it. There's enough there that you'll watch it, but it is in no way a special show. It is like forced cameos. It's like they decided to themselves that like the point of doing this show was about getting all these cameos. Like Al Gore randomly for no reason adds nothing to the show whatsoever. But it was like they forced all of that. There's a couple of moments that are decent. I don't know. It's a show that doesn't know what it wants to be. In moments, it wants to be like a gross out comedy, in which again is kind of what was working for Dave, right? Like do these truly absurd things. Um, but. In other moments, it's trying to be, like, sweet. It's trying to be... It's, You're telling it's me Pete not, Davidson can't be sweet? It, like, he can, but it's almost forced. Like, it's it's not... And, like, you're really struggling with some of the continuity of it all. Like, I feel like is one it, of the... Is it, like, too cringy and... Or? No, like, in moments, it's cringy, and, like, then you can accept... Did you are, do you watch Dave? Like is Dave? No, on I don't watch okay. Dave, yeah. So there are scenes in Dave. There was a scene that involved... There was a, a, an entire... St- run through one of the episodes is about the concept of a sexual act called milking and like it's bizarre but it leads up to this amazing final scene of the episode right and if that's the show that you are be that show but like they'll go from a gross out scene to start the show to then trying to tie everything up and be like a very sweet but i love my family like it's a emotional beat it's a very bizarre and then all these these forced cameos are are absurd, and randomly introducing new characters, and then like they can't figure out if they want Pete Davidson's character to be an f up, or to be like the the aw shucks, unassuming like it's just it, it's trying too hard. It's trying. It can't. It hasn't figured out a lane to get in. And there are moments. One of these ca- cameos was John Stewart, who happened to get in by far. The funniest line of the entire thing that I, 
No, I've only watched three or four episodes. Is the whole show out? I think it's all out. Oh, okay. I mean, I watched four episodes over the weekend. I'll watch the rest of the season, but if I was the type of person that did quit shows, you know, I don't quit shows. If I did quit shows, I would be inclined to quit this show. Gotcha. I didn't mm. get to see Guardians this weekend, and I'm still pretty unhappy. Guardians about it. was very good. We were. Wor- I was very I, happy. I, 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 everybody that I know, it's funny because like I think it got the lowest um, total of any of the Guardians movies in the box office oh. for the first weekend. Oh, really? I Which is I weird. Thought I thought it was higher than two uh, at this point. I could be wrong. Maybe, maybe it. Maybe I, I don't know. I saw a tweet this morning that was about disappointment for Guardians at the box office. And again, that's by Marvel standards, right? Like it's. Hang on a second. Let me see if I can pull up this tweet. Uh, IndieWire sent out uh, Guardians opens the lower box office than any Disney first of summer Marvel movie ever. Really. Yeah. I mean, what numbers are they using? Uh, 114, I think is what they have. Okay, I mean, I see a global box, a oh, global weekend. a little bit different. Yeah. Yeah. 282, yeah, 118, and then I'm also seeing 118 for the weekend. Um, I guess. So tip, what they're talking about is like, Marvel, Marvel has put out a movie on Cinco de Mayo weekend like every year for I don't know how many years, and they're saying this is the lowest total of any of those movies, which... Again, it's still a hundred and some million dollars. That seems like it's pretty good. Like I don't think it I would was, be unhappy. It was down eighteen percent from Endgame and Infinity War that came out this like week or th- but, okay, this but week those are pretty difficult movies exactly, to compare exactly, to. Exactly, exactly. That's I mean, I like the point. It's like comparing a one-off concert to a festival where all the <laughs> you know music acts play. It's like comparing you know a, a Blink One Eighty Two show to Coachella, like. I think Coachella is going to be a little Blink bit bigger. Blink 182 should be able to compete. I mean, I like Blink 182. Don't get me wrong, and I thought they sounded great at Coachella, but I just feel like that's not a fair comparison to make. I don't know what to do with that. I'm really upset. My my the misses and I the misses and I had plans for Saturday night. We were going to go, but I had a very small window because I had to be up at 5 a.m. on Sunday, so it was mm-hmm. like we had to pull it off. We wanted to watch the Kentucky Derby. We wanted to take the kids to a carnival on Saturday, so like everything had to fall in line, and it just didn't fall in line. Then I said, I'm out. I'm gonna watch the baseball game. Really regret that decision. It was, a it was good like game for eight. I was innings. like, I was like doing the math in my head. I'm like, I can watch the derby. I could watch the baseball game. I could watch the Lakers Warriors game, and then go to bed, right, and get a couple hours of sleep before I have to wake up at 5 a.m. And the baseball game ended up being very disappointing for me. And then the basketball game was not worth watching in the second half. Last night's was thankfully. Let me go over uh, all the stuff that I had on my list. So Bupkis was on my list to talk about today. There's, I was gonna talk about it with Jeremy. In fact, mm. there's nothing there. Uh, not yet. I will continue to write it out, and I think that it, there's still a chance it could find its groove at some point. But right now, it's almost like doing a show for the sake of doing a show. They don't really know what they're doing with Edie Falco's character. They haven't figured that out yet. Like, I, I thought the concept was more like she's the put-upon mom of Pete Davidson. Like, somewhere within the first couple of ep- ep- episodes, they switch from her being the put-upon mom to her being, like, momager, which is bizarre. I don't know where that came from. I get wanting to do more with Edie Falco because she's Edie Falco and she's, I mean, brilliant. Yes. She played one of the, you know, the great characters in TV history. Like right. I understand she's the also concept. Avatar too, and so I, I'm not an Avatar man, so that's never going to be my thing. I like understand wanting to do more. Joe Pesci's character by far has been the best part of the show to this point. Very early on. That was John Mulaney's character. Uh, John Mulaney hasn't even showed up yet. Really? Yeah. They've got him all over the trailers. Uh, but th- it's a bunch of cameos, man. The show is a slew. And we saw that when we were reading through the... We were like, okay, that's got to be cameos. But they're forced at times. Like, Charlie Day was used fairly well. Like, there was a a decent arc in an episode for Charlie Day. 
But I'm telling you, there was this thing with Al Gore and Jon Stewart, and it was as forced as forced could be. But yet Jon Stewart got the best. The funniest line I have seen so far in the show came from Jon Stewart. It's a throwaway line to end his cameo scene. But Do we reveal it? Or are you, you no, watch, watch, watch it. Watch, watch it. It's hilarious. It's hilarious, though. Um, so I gotta watch this show. You're saying it's not worth watching. Yeah, to hear this John I mean, like you can have your. Own, you're allowed to have your own opinion about things. I'm saying this show is not finding its way, and I'm four episodes in. Also, they did a really bizarre thing where the second episode of the show was a throwback episode. The second episode, they had no foundation yet, and the second episode of the show was entirely about his childhood. Was entirely let's go back to, and of course, if you know Pete Davidson's story about his father dying in 9/11 when he was young. You can understand why they thought it was an important thing to cover, but maybe not in the second episode of the show. Maybe you get a footing, like a foundation for the show, and then you do the throwback episode or the, the retro episode yeah. of the show. I was very confused. Why did they call it Bupkiss? I know I'm doing Is that. Uh, they kind of set it up. Bef- you'll understand. If you watch, the literally, okay. if you just put on the first episode, there is something going into it that will explain what okay. what, right. what that's right. all about. Right. Right. Um, I don't... I, you know, F it, I'll give you that part. Essentially, they're like, they're like, yes, this is a story about Pete Davidson, but also a lot of it is made up. In other words, it's Bupkis. Got it. Like, there's this, Got it's, it. it's like before every episode, it's almost like a parental guidance warning that they run beforehand. Like, you know, a lot of, a lot of this is, some of this is true. A lot of this is bull ass. Charlie Day wasn't actually his therapist. But I mean, like, and that's what makes it all so weird is like, I, you're taking I I am so con- confused about where they're going with Edie Falco's character. I'm so bloody confused about that. It's his, it's his mom, right? Yes, yeah. I think okay. she's better off being the put upon the thing that we think that Pete Davidson's mom actually is. Like when he would go on Saturday Night Live and always talk about how difficult it was yeah. for like, oh god, I feel so sorry for my mom. Do you know how hard it is to be my mom? Like do you, and I like the idea of Edie Falco playing that put upon character, that like sweet loving I just want you to be happy. I just want to take care of you, but you make it so difficult on me. And then all of a sudden, randomly, she's suddenly his manager. <laughs> like, she's suddenly running things, which if you knew what they did in literally the first episode of the first show, it makes no sense that they would have her go from that to that that quickly. It's weird, man. I th- it. It's just a very Is weird show. Is it like those show. Machine Gun Kelly movies that MGK I have, tried? I've got to be honest with you. I've never seen. You're lucky. And, I, You're and, lucky. I, and I'm going to tell you on top, I never will. I will never see those are well. Those Although are in fairness, I never thought bad. I'd watch a show about Lil Dicky because Lil Dicky does nothing for me. But everybody kept trying to tell me about how the show was good. I remember well, Kyle, Kyle coming in here every day, like, "Dude, you need to watch Dave," uh, and I'd be like, "Right, it's about Lil Dicky. I'm okay." And like, I know I don't really like Lil Dicky that much, but like, dude, you have to watch the show. And so I finally gave it a shot. I'm like, "All right." Okay. Well, this right. the, the, the or the Lil the MGK things are not. They're just bad movies. Oh, all right. So, well, I'll so never. Yeah, those, I will never know. Those I are not. Never view. Those them. are not. I, that's why I just wasn't sure if the Pete Davidson yeah. show is like that, where it's just you know it's a famous guy doing something. So you're like, oh, I'll watch. But yeah, there might be something there. No, it's a, like a. Like, it's, it's well done at least. Yeah, it's well made. And and there are moments where you think there's something there, or you f- at least that they had a good idea of something. They do a Fast and the Furious themed episode, and like you think it's a good idea, but it's extraordinarily ham fisted, and you can't figure out whether that's because it's close to something that actually happened in Pete Davidson's life, so he wanted that to be an episode, or whether it's just an idea that they had, and if it was just an idea that they had. 
they didn't need to ham fist it as much as they do. Did you watch the last episode of Ted Lasso? Yes. Yeah. So the Hey Jude scene was both ham fisted and yet perfect. Like it, you rolled your eyes as you were crying. You're like, really, really, this is what you're doing right now, and yet it worked. It was perfect. Wonderfully. Yeah. You were like, okay, I get it. I, I get it. I don't want to love it, but I have to love it because it did work. It just felt ham- this was not bad. This was ham-fisted as ham-fisted gets. It'd be like me walking in with an entire ham on my fist. Okay. That's what this was. It's nonsense. Uh, anyway, anyway, all right. Yeah. That was on my list. Sports things that were on my list for today. Um, as a Suns fan, I have no idea what to make of last night. I appreciate the fact that Devin Booker has just decided that he is going to take over these playoffs. Like, he's almost gone Jimmy Butler. You mean Landry Shamit, right? Landry Shamit in the fourth quarter. Uh, by the way, I said this on... Weirdly, the Chris Paul injury has forced the Suns to say, well, we've, we've got to put some of these slappies out there no matter what. And they were getting contributions. In game three, campaign was helpful. I still can't watch him shoot. It's so uncomfortable. to wa- It's like watching Matt Stafford throw a football. You're like, I know you're good at this. Philip Rivers throwing. Yeah, I, I know you're good at it, but you shouldn't be good at it. <laughs> like, it's not comfortable. Watching campaign shoot a three-pointer is – it should come with a trigger warning every time he does it. Like, no, that's not <laughs> what it's supposed to look like. What is that? But he was helpful in game three and then obviously in the game four last night. And this is what happens when you have to double Devin Booker. You have to double Kevin Durant. If you can move the ball, you're going to get Landry Shamit wide open on the wing. And if he can just knock down those shots repetitively, you're going to be in pretty good shape. Um, it, DeAndre Ayton, it's kind of laughable at this point but they're getting minutes out of jack landale whatever that is still don't know it's working it's working i mean yes they're getting minutes. i mean they, they gave up 50 to nicole Jokic last night but who cares barely, yeah barely didn't matter yeah so. if, if that's if that's what you do is give up 50 and win by all means give up 50 and win um the big story last night was this sort of entanglement uh if you would jada pinkett smith between uh nicole Jokic and the owner of the suns matt ishbia who was apparently a basketball player at Michigan State. I didn't know that. Um, You know, I don't know what to make of that, right? Like, I don't know how to handle any of it. Because I don't think the NBA can just say that it's okay for players to put hands on fans. And you could say, well, he's not a fan. Well, right, but in that circumstance, Nikola Jokic had no idea. who He was just trying to get a guy, push a guy away from him. This is the difficulty of playing a sport where there's no separation. Where, right? where what happened? He in the second quarter, oh, the second the players quarter. Okay. came over towards the sideline, and there was some jostling. And within the jo- because again in basketball you're right on top of the crowd. Right within the jostling, you ended up in the crowd, and there was some just kind of. Sh- and at one point, Nikola Jokic shoved someone. It ended up it ended being up that it was the yeah. owner of the Suns, Matt okay. Ishbia. Now everybody's saying he flopped. Like he, you know, <laughs> he dramatically kind of fell back, and that wasn't necessary. But definitely, Nikola Jokic shoved him. There's no question about that. That did happen. Now, you know who was in whose grill. It, this is this is always a blurred line for the NBA because it's the only sport where this is an issue, where there are people not involved the game in the game that are right on top of the game. That doesn't happen in other sports. 
even in like the NCAA tournament, they use it's one of the, it's. If you've ever wondered what the best event to cover is, it's the NCAA tournament because the NCAA puts you right on top of the floor. Whereas now, even in the NBA, even broadcasters are put at like the top of the first fl- like they're no longer courtside like radio broadcasters. The end, the TV guys still are, but radio broadcasters used to be on the same right on the same press row, right courtside. Now they've moved them up to try to get more seats down there mm-hmm. to sell. Understanding the concept of trying to make more money, but at the same time, it's putting more people who aren't involved with the game, aren't employees, don't understand right there. I don't know what the answer is. Matt Ishbia came out today and said he hopes that Nicole Jokic won't be penalized at all for that. And that's probably a good thing to say. Yeah. But I don't know what the NBA does because the NBA still has to make it very clear to players like, hey, this is the way that it works. People pay a lot of money to be in these seats. You can't touch them. It doesn't work that way. I don't know how you handle this. The NBA is going to have this problem eternally because in, in hockey, there's a huge thing of glass. In football, like you got, you're, you're, tar, all, yeah. you're elevated off the field. Baseball, there's a netting. There's a wall. There's every other sport has a separation of some sort, something that separates fans from competitors. Basketball is – this is the only place – and in fact, in some instances on the floor, the fans are closer than the players are because like you have fan seats and then you have the bench. It's absurd the way they've done things in basketball in order to try to charge people more money for these closer seats. I, I don't know what the answer is. I hope that it's not. Even as a Suns fan, I hope that Nicole Jokic yeah. does not I mean, get a penalty can't. for it. That, I mean, that's that yeah, would be fine, I guess. Now, like, that, that, that being said, it was shameful. I, like I was there in Phoenix in 07 when – you know, Robert Ory took a cheap shot. A couple of Suns players came off the bench to defend their guy, just to try to break up Robert Ory being a, a cheap shot artist. And then they altered that series in the playoffs by saying, sorry, you guys get suspended. That's just, The rules are the rules. So there's also a part of me that, like, as a Suns fan, is like, hey, dude, if the rules are the rules, like, the rules are the rules, and I'm still pretty pissed off about that. I've never gotten over what happened in that series. It was absurd. Robert Ory taking a shot at Steve Nash the way that he did. Um, I still don't want to see it happen that way. I still don't think it's a good thing for the sport if Nikola Jokic doesn't play in Game 5, and obviously it would have a dramatic impact on the series and on the playoffs in general if he doesn't play. I don't think the Warriors are done either, by the way. I keep saying this. Same thing I said when they were down 2-0 in the first series. I've, I've seen this too much to write off the Warriors, and I'm still not overwhelmed by the Lakers either. Like, I still saw them kind of give up in the second half of game two. The, it feels like you're watching teams that are led by old or injured dudes. Where, like, once the game is going a certain way, they're sort of like, yeah, we're good. Like, we're not going to exert too much energy to try to change this. In fairness, the Warriors did rally in game one. They just rallied and fell short. But, like, on in game two, it felt like the Lakers kind of accepted their fate pretty quickly. And in game three, it felt like the Warriors accepted their fate pretty quickly. So I, I don't know what any of that means for tonight. I think it's going to be very difficult for these Warriors, given the age of these guys, to keep playing seven-game series and try to win an NBA title this year. That feels almost impossible. The Sixers thing is kind of bizarre. It's weird to me that we're trying to criticize Joel Embiid for doing the right thing. Very weird bit that the internet has concocted where 
a real MVP doesn't give the ball up in that situation with the game on the line. Well, no, it's the exact thing that he should have done in that moment. Like, what is the, what is the internet? Like, we are so lost. Like, Hero Ball has wrecked us. I blame ISO Joe. This is all Joe Johnson's fault. He started this problem. We have been wrecked to the point where we think lesser of someone if they pass to the open man because they didn't force the game to go through them. The exact thing that Joel Embiid, he should be overly praised for making the right decision with the game on the line. Well, that's not what that's not what Kobe would do. That's not what What is how twisted have we become? We have truly taken basketball and said it's no longer a team sport. The internet has done that. The internet has created so that basketball shouldn't be a team sport. Joel Embiid did exactly what he should do. Two defenders on him. James Harden is wide open. James Harden shoots the shot. By the way, it's not even like... It's not Tyrese Maxey. It's James effing Harden. Was it Shake Milton? Right. (laughs) It's one of the great shooters of an era. Is wide open. And the theory is that Joel Embiid... that's what M- I thought you were MVP. The guy that's got 40s wide open, so like, what don't pass it. What the heck is this? What is the internet anymore, man? I'm so lost. Uh, all credit to Joel Embiid. I'm a little surprised that the Sixers have managed to even this series back up. I thought that game three kind of swung things to the Celtics, and then especially when they rallied yesterday, I was like, oh, dude, it's over. Like when they rallied in the, the, the fourth, fourth quarter yeah. – and took the lead, legitimately said, well, that's the se- there goes that series. And the bummer for me is, I, like, internally, I will always root against Boston. Like, they will mm-hmm. never – I, I will I, – I don't even really care about the Celtics, and yet I still root like hell for them to lose. I certainly don't care about the 76ers in any way, but I was rooting like hell for the 76ers to win because they're not Boston. But, and yeah. I'm hoping – because I worry that, like, looking at the East, Boston is definitely the deepest, most complete. They've got, they've got the most tricks up their sleeve – of any of the teams in the East. So I worry that especially if the team from the, like, and then it, what if it was Boston, LA? Ugh. So no interest in that. But like, it's easy. If it's Denver, I don't even care that they beat the Suns. I'll root for Denver. If it's the Warriors, I'll obviously root for the Warriors. Clearly, if it's the Suns, I'm going to be rooting for the Suns. The Lakers does make it tricky. I'll just root for nobody. But uh, honest to God, I hate Boston so much that I would still just hold my nose and root for the Lakers in that situation is the way that it would go. Um, I bet it'd be more indifferent than anything else. I would just prefer that the Lakers yeah. won the I mean, series. Hopefully, the Heat beat Boston. whoever wins it. Yes, I would prefer but, that. I mean, my friend's been saying all week. Though he thinks this is the NBA Finals right here, the Sixers and the Celtics. He thinks I don't. I don't buy that. You don't buy that I at all. I, I like. I get the math that you're doing on the that. Suns Homer over here. No, it's not even about. Like, it's just the Boston's not infallible. Like Boston's again. I think they have the most. I think they're the most complete team of anybody left. But they're not right. infallible. They are capable of stubbing their own toes. And they've also never done it before. And, like, you know, that still part still matters until you do it, right? Like, until you go do it, it this does team. matter that you've, you haven't done it before, that you've come up short, that you deal with those demons, things like that. I don't buy that it's the finals in any way. Like, same thing. Imagine if Philadelphia wins the series. You're just confident now that, <laughs> that they're going to win. They got the MVP. He's willing to pass. Okay, dog. I mean, I'm not sure that they're beating Jimmy Butler, frankly. I know. Well, yeah, that's, love, that's the God, issue. God, I love me some Jimmy Butler right now. 
If it's not the Suns, I'm hoping it's Jimmy Butler. I, I honestly got to convince myself the best possible scenario is if the Suns lose, I want it to be the Heat. I want an eight seed winning the NBA title, and I want Jimmy Butler carrying a team, uh, Kawhi Leonard-esque, to an NBA championship. Be, I'd be, I'm all in for that. Be pretty legendary. Um, the the lacrosse stuff from the weekend. Bummer for Loyola. They make this dramatic run. They come up two goals short in the championship game, losing to Army. Um, put up a hell of an effort. Cannot figure out what Michigan is. I have no idea how to explain that. That Michigan. It's not just they beat Maryland twice. They pounded. Maryland twice now in order to get into the NCAA tournament, which took away a spot from, um, you know, I think Denver probably is the team that it took a spot away from. Um, Maryland and Hopkins will both be at home this weekend. Maryland plays a really tricky Army team. Like, that is not a sure thing for them to beat Army. And, look, Hopkins plays a plucky Bryant team as well. Like, those are both difficult games. Maryland plays on Saturday at 7.30, so it's a night game for the Terps on Saturday night, and then Hopkins plays Sunday afternoon at noon. Both of them are at home. The other kind of big story from the bracket, and it's it's a good thing, I think, for the sport. It's a bad thing for fairness. Both Maryland and Hopkins get shuffled to the Annapolis semi or the quarterfinal spot. We'll talk about this with Patrick tomorrow. That's good for the sport because it should create huge crowds in Annapolis if both Maryland and Hopkins win this weekend. As long as neither one of them stubs their toe, you should get a huge audience. They also smartly didn't put it the same day as Preakness. They put it on the following Sunday. You should get big-time crowds. But is that fair to the number one seed in your tournament? the team that you said earned that right. Oh, and also the number two seed in your tournament, Duke and Virginia, the teams that you decided were the best teams in the country, instead get shuffled up to Albany. It's a good place to play lacrosse, I heard. It's a lovely place to play lacrosse. But you know geography. Where's Duke? Carolina. Is that closer to Annapolis or closer to Albany, New York? Uh, I believe it's Annapolis. Where's Virginia? (laughs) Also closer to Annapolis. Seems a little unfair to the best teams, the teams you decided were the best teams, that you sent them up to Albany and the teams that you didn't think were the best teams get to stay home and play in Annapolis. Now, again, if you're a Maryland fan, if you're a Hopkins fan, you're happy about it. You say, that's good. Yay. But... And for the sport, it creates the scenario, especially with uh, Navy being a much larger stadium. It's a 34,000-seat stadium. It creates a scenario you can fill a few more of those seats. And that presents better on TV. That presents better in general. Like, I can, I don't, I have to assume that's the reason why they did it. Because otherwise, it's nonsense. It just makes no sense whatsoever that you would say to the two best teams in the country, you've got to travel significantly further away for your quarterfinal. Of course, the stadium at Albany, I think, is a bit smaller, um, so it's a little bit easier to fill. I believe it's... Uh, Tom and Mary Casey Yeah, the stadium, the stadium right. Yeah. I believe it's... I want to say it's more like a 14,000. I'm sorry. Looks this like 8,500. Okay, it's not even that. Yeah. yeah. It's a much smaller stadium, so it's much easier to fill that stadium than it is to get a big crowd in Annapolis. So I... 
again, Patrick can explain to me. Like he probably already talked to people involved about why the decision. We'll talk to him about it tomorrow. But it's a little bit of a weird bit. Also, it's hard to feel good about Maryland coming in off of getting pounded, pounded by Michigan on Saturday night. Hard to feel good about their path to uh, reaching the Final Four, but uh, we'll see again for those teams. It would be Maryland. Uh, they do. They play Army first, and then they would get the Penn State-Princeton winner. Again, like that seems like a winnable game, and then Hopkins, if they beat Bryant, would get the Notre Dame-Utah winner. That would be a little bit tougher. Notre Dame's really good. Um, the, you know, the top four seeds seem to deserve to be the top four seeds, but we will see how it actually plays out. All right. Is that everything that I wanted to cover this morning? Oh, uh, John Harbaugh says Brandon Stevens is moving to safety. That's a weird bit, man. Okay. <laughs> like, yeah. I I kind of get it. We thought that was right. Brandon Stevens' path once upon a time. But weird that at a time where you have no cornerback depth that you're moving Brandon Stevens to safety. It's just strange. That's all. Like, it puts more stress on they, they have to do more. I think I still think they have to add another veteran corner between now and the start of the season. And if that's Marcus Peters, God bless, but, like, they got to do something. Maybe they're waiting after June 1st to see what else might become available at some point before they make that decision, but I think they need a little bit more help at the cornerback position now with Brandon Stevens converting. Like, focus. the word wasn't John Harbaugh, focusing on safety. Odd. Just odd, right? Like, did not see that coming. Hopefully one of these other guys is ready to take a step forward, whether that's Jalen Armour Davis, whether it's, Caillou Blue Kelly as a rookie. Uh, hopefully somebody's ready to give them a little bit more depth, but what was already a concerning spot on the roster now becomes, to me, even more concerning. Not that we felt great about Brandon Stevens, but at least believed he could play, like he could go out there for a little while. Now you're even thinner at a position where you were already very, very thin to begin with. So that was a weird news item that happened. Yeah, well, the right. worst news was that Roquan Smith is going to be wearing number zero. Why does that bother you? Because it's not a, a, a real number. It's I mean, not I, a, it's not a linebacker. I don't know why anybody would choose to wear the number zero. He gave, like, talked about this being his first full season in Baltimore and, like, starting over at level, like, whatever. Linebacker should be wearing 50s. <laughs> okay. That's, I don't care about, I don't be. nearly care. Well, he wasn't going to do that anyway. They gave Sam Cook's number right away. Oh, yeah. You're still That's upset about that, right? Well, you, you, you were mad about Hollywood Brown wearing Joe Flacco. Oh, my God. That means. Okay. okay. I also, nobody would care about this. Did you see the story going around this weekend about the Titans are going to wear Houston Oilers throwbacks? Gross. No? Gross. Why? Now, I get it. Technically, the Oilers, they were still the Oilers for a minute when they arrived in Tennessee. It took them a minute before they converted to being the Titans. But it's the same thing as I feel about Baltimore. It's the exact same feeling that I have. Just because we think the Oilers uniforms were cool, just because the love you blue, the whole thing. Like, everybody has an affinity for the old look of the Houston Oilers. And I don't blame them for it. It was a cool look, right? Like, I'm in with it. Gift That's a it, Houston thing. Gift it back to that franchise. On behalf of everyone in Houston. And I'm not trying to pretend like the Houston Oilers were ever the Baltimore Colts. Because they weren't, right? Like, they certainly, I mean, Earl Campbell, they had legendary moments. And they were a proud franchise. But I'm not trying to pretend like the Houston Oilers were the Baltimore Colts. The Baltimore Colts were one of the most important franchises in football history. But on behalf of the people that still have emotions tied to it, I feel bad for them. They don't deserve to have their noses rubbed in it. They don't deserve that feeling. The Oilers were a Houston team. Out of the goodness of your 
soul, everyone involved with these types of things should be willing to give, particularly once those cities get franchises back. That wasn't Art Modell's plan. I'm not trying to give Art Modell credit for it because it only happened by court order that everything stayed in Cleveland. But it matters because it set the precedent for exactly how this should work. You move a franchise, fine. But leave the history, the feelings, the emotions, all of it with the city that you left. It's theirs. It's always absurd to me when like Nationals fans are like, I want to get a throwback Expos hat. What the hell do you have to do? Like what what possible connection can you feel in Washington to Tim Raines? Gary Carter the hell does that have to do with you every time that grotesque franchise in indianapolis tries to remember and all the legends like lenny moore what in the f would someone in indianapolis feel about lenny moore it's bizarre it's truly absurd and it speaks to the disconnect from reality that these these wealthy owners have like it's my franchise the F it is, you're the guy that's allowed to profit off of the franchise. I don't give Drew Forrester credit for a lot of things because he doesn't deserve it. Although he did make the U.S. Senior Open once, and that's, that's an amazing accomplishment. But other than that, I give him credit for nothing. But that was one of the things that he instilled upon me years ago. Drew would always say, you don't own the team. You own the right to profit off of the team. It's a public trust. It's the city's team. It's the community's team. And you should understand that. And whenever one of these doofuses like that we bring on from Indianapolis, like, well, you know, yeah, Jim Ursay, it's 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 his family's franchise, and he wants to f with that. Then call them the Ursay Colts, and let them play wherever the f they want to play. There's a reason why you put the name of the city in the team's name, because you want the city to believe that it's the their team. Nashville has nothing to do with Earl Campbell. It's gross. Do the right thing and say to the Houston Texans, we'd like to give you the option. Now, you don't get the profit off of that, so nobody will ever do it. But cities should take these teams to court over this. I would encourage them, and frankly... And I get it. Now there's as much history in Indianapolis, somebody would say, as there is in Baltimore, right? Like, it, what, what fight would there be at this point between who has the right to the Colts? I don't – I'm over the name thing. I, I, clearly, the, the, it's never going to be the – the Baltimore Ravens aren't going to change their name. They're going to be the Ravens for, forever. But the history, the records, all of that stuff should never belong in Indianapolis. And the, the Tennessee Titans should never be wearing – Oilers garb. The moment they moved, they should have adopted the new name. And for them to, the, to hide behind, well, technically we were for a little bit the Tennessee Oilers, but that was a sham too. And that never should have existed. The hell does, what, what, what does oil have to do with Nashville? Actually, I think technically they were even playing in Memphis at that point because they were playing at the Liberty Bowl when they started their franchise. Gross. So should all teams that, all, that ever relocate, they should always have to change the their Oakland names. Athletics should change their name. The Vegas Raiders. Whatever they want. Yeah, they should. Well, they should have. And th- th- then it becomes complicated, right? Like somebody would say, well, who owns the Raiders, right? Because they were in Oakland, and then they were in L.A., and then they were back in Oakland. Yeah. Like The Rams. So you're re- you have to fix retroactive problems, but my answer would always be yes. 
You move cities. Rebrand. You change your name. You leave everything. The history, all of the emotional connection stays with the city because it, one, gives them the chance that if they do get a franchise again, like Cleveland, they can just restart. Every time it should be required by pro franchises. If you want to move, all good. But everything stays behind. You essentially become an expansion team. Yeah. You know, you get to take the players, clearly, because, like, you know, you have to have a... Somebody has to play. But other than that, everything else you treat like an expansion team. There are no... The, the guys that played in 1996 for the Baltimore Ravens played... Some of them played in 1995 for the Cleveland Browns. Vinny Testaverde played in 1995 for the Cleveland Browns. Right? Like, there was a connection between the two. But his records didn't come with him. In 1996, they were an expansion team despite the fact that they were the same franchise. And that's the way that it should exist. We stumbled into doing it the right way, right? Like, mm -hmm. it wasn't the choice. We accidentally got it right, and it should have, in that moment, showed everyone in sports, this is how you do this. This is how you fix it moving forward. So, truly, F the Titans. And I, I, I know there were plenty of people that were excited about it last week, but it made my skin crawl because I feel the same things. That ain't yours. It's not your history. It's not your anything. It's just gross. It's not a sermon, just a thought. All right, that was my list. That was everything that I had for today. Well Let's get a tidbit. Tidbit is brought to you today by the print issue of Pressbox. It is available at your neighborhood Royal Farms. Any of those, mine is over there for some reason. Griffin, you can hold it up. That is the uh, print issue of Pressbox. That illustration of Jackson Holiday is on the cover as we celebrate the pipeline that still exists, some of these decisions we were talking about earlier, Colton Kowser, Jordan Westberg, just because Adley got here or Grayson got here or Gunner doesn't mean that's it. There's still a lot to come. So you can read all about that in this print issue of Pressbox, available for free at your neighborhood Royal Farms, any of the hundreds of locations around town where you find Pressbox. Read it all at PressBoxOnline.com. And while you do, what I would encourage you to do is also wander over to PressBoxOnline.com slash contests. Because in concert with this print issue of Pressbox, we have a great offer for you to go check out all of the area's minor league baseball teams. Four tickets to each of the local minor league baseball teams, plus an Easy Pass Maryland on-the-go transponder preloaded with $25 and a $50 gas card from Royal Farms in order to help you get around. Must be 18 or older in order to enter. The sweepstakes ends June 14th. Get over to PressBoxOnline.com contests right now and get signed up. Uh, of course, we had Aljamain Sterling defend his belt. Griffin went to the fight. He wanted, to, did, he wanted yeah. to find an excuse to bring did, this yeah, up. Yeah. That's really yes. what it, this is. Um, although I'm I don't, really dis I don't agree with the decision, though. Oh, you thought yeah, this? I think Henry Cejudo won. Ooh, that, that building, that building had said Henry. I've got real questions. How do you have the money to be able to afford to be able to go? I really don't. I really, I really don't. I really had I really, after really, you told really me don't. how much it cost to get in. I was like, oh, okay, that's a lot. And then I was like, wait a second. I really don't. What the hell is going on around here? In hindsight. Probably not the greatest financial decision, but it was awesome. It was That's it was cool. it That's was very cool, cool to I be told there. You I, I mean, I, I, I driven up to watch. I went yeah. drove up to East Rutherford, New Jersey, to watch Fedor fight once upon a time. I've, I've made similar decisions. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. So he defends his belt, setting up a uh, there'll be the next band and weight fight with Sugar Show, Sean O'Malley, uh, and Aljamain Sterling. So that should be a good fight. Um, let's see. Jokic obviously did score fifty yesterday. He had fifty three points, which is uh, tied for the second most in a playoff game ever by a center. Uh, only Wilt Chamberlain had more. He scored 56. 
Um, and he assisted on 78 points, assisted or scored 78 points, uh, which is He's the most ever man. by a center it's in NBA history. Yeah. Um, and it is the fourth most points scored by a by a player. Thank in God a they really loss. only have in like one and a half other players. Thank yeah. God. They have Jamal Murray is when he's healthy. And then Aaron Gordon usually for a quarter. Eh, I was up. gonna say like sometimes <laughs> Michael Porter will knock down some threes. Like if he's not knocking down his shots, he's got nothing. Eternally, the player in the league that I look at, and I'm like, why aren't you better? Like why are you not a star? He's six nine. He's a deadly shooter, and he's just a guy. It's. I'll never be able to explain the Michael. Because he decided thing. not to play college basketball. Is that what it is yeah. specifically? That you think one that's year why. at USC would have made the difference? Or well, something? I mean, well, he was at Mizzou, right? And then he Mizzou, that's and he exactly essentially right. redshirted the whole year, yeah. and just because I think you know, you know, some, it was the other, some baby injury. Who was it that went to USC? It was another Porter, right? Uh, what Porter? No, where, where did Otto Porter go? No, that's Otto Porter went to Georgetown. About. Somebody else went to USC that was a very similar player. Go ahead, just go. Um, Bryce Miller, he became the first pitcher in Mar- Mariners history with at least six innings pitched and having one or no runs allowed in each of his first two career starts. How about that? Also a great start for Bryce Miller. Um, and, of course, uh, Vita Blue passed away. Vita, Vita Blue. That's what I said, Vita Blue. Mm-hmm. Passed go, away. Just go ahead. One of 11 players ever to win the MVP and the Cy Young in the same mm. season. Do you oh, think you I can name? it was 11. It is 11, yes. So uh, let's see if you can name, because there's some tough ones on here. How many of those? Well, I know Dennis 10? Eckersley, for example, is one that definitely pops off at me. It is Dennis Eckersley with the Oakland A's in 1992. Vita Blue did it in 1971. I know. Didn't Verlander do it? Not that man, that not, not that long ago. That is correct with the Tigers in 2011. Justin Verlander, MVP, and the Cy Young. Now I start getting into guessing territory because those are the ones that I definitively remembered. Now it's like. Verlander, not the most recent to do it. He's not the most recent to do it. Kershaw. Kershaw. Yeah. 2014, Clayton Kershaw won the National League MVP as well as the National know, League I Cy Young. I did that. Um, there's guys I just want to guess, but I have no idea if they did it or not. It just feels like I should guess them. Like Nolan Ryan, for example. Nolan Ryan did not do this. I, like, is, I, yeah, I, I mean, I hear you, but it's just It's like weird. not surprising, but also very surprising that. There's um, ten guys that have done this, and he's not one of them. How about, how about, oh, Roger Clemens did it, didn't he? He did. Roger Clemens did it in 1986. 1986 with the Boston Red Sox. How about Bob Gibson? Bob Gibson, of course, did do this with the St. Louis Cardinals. I actually did not know that Bob Gibson had done it. Again, I'm going to stay on that. I'm going to say Sandy the Koufax, but I don't know that he did Sandy it. Koufax okay. did, in, did, in fact, do it in 1963. The American League uh, Cy Young and MVP won it in 1968, the same year Bob Gibson did. But this is a tough one. <laughs> uh, 68. 68. I mean, the it, Detroit Tigers. Oh, Denny McLean. Denny McLean. Denny McLean. If you hadn't told me that, oh, I wouldn't okay. have gotten it. Okay. Just, yeah. Denny McLean in 1968 winning the American League MVP and Cy Young. Um. Three more. Three more, you said. Yes. Three more. Uh, boy. Boy. Uh, okay, these are all, I mean, there's nothing else that's modern, correct? No. Okay. Yeah, no more modern. Between 1956 and 1984, I think. Okay. 1956, 1984. Uh, uh, Juan Marichal. No, not Juan Marichal. Hmm. 
Mm-mm-mm. Boy, this is Trying tough. To think before. There's another tiger on. on the list. Another tiger on the list. Yes, from 1984. Mm, I have no idea. Willie Hernandez. Oh, Willie Hernandez. Yes. Pissed. I Willie Hernandez in 1984 was the Cy Young and the MVP. All right. Another fellow known for uh, some facial hair. Raleigh Fingers. Raleigh Fingers in 1981 with the Milwaukee Brewers. Okay. Cy Young and MVP. And then the very first player to do this win the Cy Young and the MVP in 1956. Okay. For the Brooklyn Dodgers. Uh, Don Newcomb. Don Newcomb. Don Newcomb. Don Newcomb was the All first right. ever to win the Cy Young and the All MVP right. in the same season. Uh, before Vita Blue, among among others, joined him. It's good. This was a good tidbit. Thank this you. was relevant. This was related to something. I know we weren't really talking about it on the show, but it's relevant yes. to it at news. It wasn't just the basketball du jour. Again, I, I mean, I guess it should have been something related to the news, but you know what? I'm giving it to you anyway. <laughs> I'm giving it to you anyway. Good yes, tidbit. I win. Tubular is brought to you by A.J. Michaels, expert and award-winning A.J. Michaels, heating, A.C., plumbing, and home performance will improve your home's energy efficiency and comfort levels. AC season is coming up fast. New rebates and discounts are available. More AJMichaels.com. Here's what's coming up tonight, totally tubular-wise, as we mentioned. Orioles-Rays get underway. Kyle Gibson against Baltimore Native. Technically, he moved when he was five. Shane McClanahan, 630 on. He's got that Baltimore blood. Counts. That's true. Yeah. That's what's flowing through him. That's the reason why he's First so good. First sip of water he ever had. That's true. That's a good point. It was probably, probably tainted. Yeah, that's correct. <laughs> probably trash water. Uh, before the trash wheel was there, so almost certainly trash water. My sister sent me th- this kid that she used to go to high school with. I don't, I don't want to know. What he, he did, probably what you expect. Oh God, don't. Why jumped Why? in the harbor? TNT tonight. Knicks Heat game four at seven thirty. Warriors Lakers. Drew would love this. He, he went. To, he goes to Loyola. Well, there you go. There <laughs> goes to Loyola Blakefield. I don't think. I don't think they want that to be. I don't think they're going to be thrilled about that being put out there. ESPN tonight, uh, Golden Knights, Oilers, Game 3 at 8.30. Madison 2, National Giants, 9.45. MLB Network, Cardinals, Cubs at 7.30. ESPN Plus, Astros, Angels at 9.30. MLB TV for uh, for the free game, the Dodgers, Brewers at 7.30. USA, Fulham, and Lestis. Oh, that's already over. Right now, Brighton and Hove, Albion against Everton. For some reason, they're doing three games on USA Today. I don't know what, this, what, what, what the occasion is. And then Nottingham 4 is Southampton at 3. That's what I wanted to know. That's normally the reason why these things happen. Like it's Boxing Day. John and Little Rock, what's going on? Yeah, what what is the reason why there's a triple header on USA Today? And then uh, WWE Monday Night Raw tonight at 8. Your your reaction to uh, Bad Bunny's performance. That was Saturday night, right? I haven't haven't rewatched yet. Ah, I haven't watched it yet either, for what it's worth. I'm probably going to watch it today. I probably will, honestly. I got a couple other things I got to do, but I will probably try to put it on in the background. Non-sports? Uh, not really. Uh, Jeopardy Masters ah, premiere. Can't that wait for at that. Eight o'clock on ABC. Um, White House Plumbers new uh, new episode I of that. Watched the first episode. Yeah, I watched. It's uh, tough. It, I didn't finish it. It drags. Like it's. It looks interesting. It, I wanted to check it out. My friend that I went to school with, he was a PA on because they filmed something DC. Here in yeah. yeah, so he was a PA, and I was like, all right, I guess I'll definitely. Check it was. This it's out. fine. The it guy looks, that plays uh, Gordon Liddy is good. Mm-hmm. Like there's there's. Justin Thoreau. Thro- just, yeah, yes. Yeah, Justin yeah, the Thro- guy that's not the uh, Prime Minister of Canada. Correct. The other <laughs> yeah. guy. Um, like, there's a, there's a lot of good there. It didn't... Maybe it's the Rue. Maybe that's how it's pronounced. The Rue. I don't know. Yeah. It didn't hook me necessarily. Like, where I was like, oh, I love this show. Right. But it was worth the watch. I'll, I, again, I also don't give up on things. So I will yeah. I will revisit. I don't know when, but I'll revisit White House Plumbers. Yeah, so I had a few minutes left because I, I need to see my friend's name in the credits. So I got to finish. Ah, it. very important. So I have to make okay. sure I finish the first episode at least. Anything else? Uh, no, that's, that's it. All right, very uh, good. Well, there's no late night. Yeah, it's no late night. Not going to be late night for I don't know when. Yeah, last, the last strike was, what, 100 days? Jesus was the last Christ. Hollywood strike. 
you start you start to worry at some point when like I guess if it's over the summer that's the time. it's the time to know. do it but, uh, but what I'm saying is more like when do we realize that we don't miss it yeah when do we realize like we never need it again <laughs> that's always the way that I feel in these moments like is anybody really missing late night television at all is anybody like God I just need Jimmy Fallon to not be funny like to just <laughs> to 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 sing along to a song that he has nothing to do with that's what I'm missing in my life just go over to YouTube the funny part is like does he even need writers? <laughs> like, all he's doing is—I mean, I guess that they—they're idea people more than they're anything yeah. else. It's not like they're doing anything that's funny. Like, I could see where you'd say Stephen Colbert needs writers. Thank right? you to like, Friday. I always enjoyed with okay. Jimmy Fallon. You, you can be the one. <laughs> you can be that guy. All right. Thanks today to um, oh god, a whole slew of people. Larry Stewart, new Coppin State basketball po- coach. Ramiro Restrepo, the owner of Mage, thanks to Doug Wechter, uh, Rays analyst and former pitcher. We'll get all that up in the greatest hits section of Oh my God, so good. Tab at GlennClarkRadio.com. And our apologies to Jeremy Kahn. Yes. Not his fault. Patrick will join us tomorrow. We'll preview the NCAA lacrosse tournament. Uh, do we have anything else tomorrow? Stuff and things. Oh boy, yeah. stuff and things. All right. Thanks to everybody at Pressbox, all of our great sponsors and partners, including AJ Michaels, Glory Days Grill. Royal Farms, Costa Sin, Hartford Community College, Birdland Sports, All-American Lacrosse, your local Toyota dealer, buyatoyota.com. Thanks to Griffin at Griffin underscore Bass. Follow us, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Glenn Clark Radio. Have a great Wednesday or Wednesday evening. Have a great Monday evening. I wish. Go Birds. Duke sucks.